Welcome to the RAB Poetry Podcast, where we bring you the stories behind the words, where every poem has a story behind it. Our podcast is a journey through the hearts and minds of poets as we delve into the inspirations, struggles, and triumphs that fuel their work. In each episode, we'll feature a poem, sharing the underlying stories and reciting the most powerful and moving pieces. From various poems on wide variety of topics and rising poets and authors, our podcast is the perfect companion for anyone who loves poetry and the power of words. Whether you're a seasoned poetry enthusiast or just getting started, you'll find something to love on the RAB Poetry Podcast. So tune in and let the stories of our poets take you on a journey of inspiration and emotion. Listen to the REB Poetry Podcast, available on all major platforms now. Why, hello there, everybody. It's uh, Wes, Andy, and Hank, and we are back for arguably the wildest ride of the last nine weeks. It Crazy. is Fandor. It is our, uh, it's the, the 12th, <laughs> the 12th episode, nine weeks, 12 episodes. Uh, we are your hosts. Once again, thank you for, uh, for, for coming back. Um, uh, I just want to run a, just a quick little update here. Um, last week, we talked about uh, potentially uh, asking for your help to uh, get us over the 100 uh, subscriber mark. Guys, the support was overwhelming. We blew that away in the first, uh, well, less than 24 hours. So tier one is unlocked. Um, we, we did it. So Crazy. someone's getting the clone trooper. So this is where I got to tell you, we got a long way to go before the 31st of December. So it is officially the drive to 200 because we want to give away that general grievous action figure. Oh, you've got him right there. I'm going to let me take that out here. Let me uh, throw you up here. Solo Hank. People can get a good look at that. Ooh, there he is. That's a general beauty. Grievous. That is a beauty. We want to give that away to one lucky follower of the channel, but you've got to go over and subscribe to the channel. You must head over to the uh, 100 subscriber video, which is there. I've linked it in the description of this live stream, so you'll be able to find it no trouble at all. Leave a comment on that video, and that's it. You're in. It's um, also, got to remind everybody, it's open to all our old subscribers, too. Of course so it is. All, of course you've, already, it is. you've already completed the big part of the equation. All you got to do is go there, like it, drop a comment. Yeah. And, uh, and you're in you're in you are in yeah so uh very very exciting uh times um andy you just looked we were at 88 last week what's the sub count right now uh a couple minutes ago we were at 116 116 but it has since bumped to 117 okay well somebody just got on board so so thank you thank you for that also i did notice um uh, you know when you're a young and i mean young youtube channel in in the sense that we are small you get your friends and your family and they all message you and they go, Hey, I did it for you. And you, and you thank them very much. That happened an awful lot uh, in the last week, at least through my circle of friends where I, mm-hmm. I got, <laughs> I got a few messages. I thought I already did. And I was like, Oh, okay. Well, I'm glad you did now. So thank you for that. As I always say, it costs nothing. It's absolutely free. Even if you don't watch our videos, yeah. the subscriber, the subscriber count helps. It, it helps. Give, give me your passwords. I'll do it for you. 
One more update. Andy, I'm going to let you take this one because this came as a shock to me. It was a shock to me, too. Apparently, we've got some great fans out there, like we didn't know. But uh, one of them in particular, Mike Murphy, sent in this for us. It is a Chia Pet the Child. The Child a Pet. Child <laughs> That's a pet. awesome. So we can grow a Grogu. Listen, I don't know. Um, it's pretty dark in here and I tend to, when I'm, when I'm working uh, throughout the week, putting shows together, I kind of keep it dark. So I don't know if that's going to grow in this room, but Mike, one of us will grow. One it. of us will grow it. We will take pictures and we will provide updates on uh, the fandom power, uh, child of pet <laughs> nice. because no, he's no. now, he is now officially uh part of the family and we love him. So thank grow you grow goo. We are going to grow for goo. a growing channel. All right, guys, it's that time once again. You know what time it is. It's time for Bad Star Wars Jokes. This week's uh, Bad Star Wars Joke comes from uh, me. <laughs> I didn't write this one, but uh, I laugh at this every time I read it. And now I'd like to read it to you guys. Uh, hey, guys, why did the Stormtrooper buy an iPhone? Don't know. Apple loyalty? I knew. <laughs> Because he couldn't find the droid he was looking for. Oh, oh yeah. <laughs> oh, wicked. That might be the best one yet. <laughs> I'm a droid guy myself. I'm a, yeah, Android here. I'm. Uh, we run everything on a Mac, but yeah, I'm a more or less an Android guy. I'm that. I'm the weirdo. <laughs> <laughs> well, but we knew that already. Odd man out. Yeah. Again, guys, if you have a bad Star Wars joke, please send it along. You uh, please, uh, you can actually you can put it in the comments here. We won't flash it up on screen. We'll save it for a, a future installment. Uh, you can email the channel at uh, Phantom Power Three. That's at Phantom Power Number Three at uh, gmail.com. or you can hit us up on uh, Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter. Just search the Phantom Power and the Phantom Power Podcast. This has been another installment of Bad Star Wars Jokes. <laughs> All right, guys, uh, this one, episode 12, Rick's Road. Uh, we always start out with general impressions. I think let's just hold, uh, keep it to general impressions, uh, impressions of the episode, and then we can talk about the series as a whole um, when we get to the end, because I know my, if you guys are like me, my head is all over the place with uh, what I just watched and what I want to watch again. Yep. Um, what did we think of this episode of uh, Rick's Road? Do it. Me? Okay. A lot of strings got pulled together. You think a so? A whole lot of strings got okay. pulled together. Okay. But there's still more left hanging, so season two is like not going to be forced. Uh, no, no. It's it going to evolve out of this naturally, and if they keep going on this trajectory, I'm all for it. Uh, I agree with you. Uh, for me, I don't know. Were you done? Pretty much. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. For me, uh, guys, if, if fans of our show of, of fan and power in general, especially our star Wars review series, um, you may recall the amount of excitement. I was a champion of this show when it was announced right from the get go. I mean, th this show was made for me and now looking back at it, uh, 12 episodes later, nine weeks later, thoroughly, thoroughly, thoroughly impressed. Like this was announced back at the 20. 20 disney investors day so this has been two years in the making um i was so excited about it um but honestly i can't tell you let me put it to you this way no other live action finale did i get up for at 3 a.m 
<laughs> um, when it drops for us here in the eastern part of the country. Yeah. And I did for Andrew. Um, I, de- I definitely know that kind of loyalty because I, I do that. I do that almost all the time. Do you? Uh, yeah, it's become like more normal for me to do it there than not. But then it's weird because I experience it different than sometimes when you guys watch it for the first time on a big screen. Not sure. I'm in the bathroom on my phone or something like that. Oh, right, right, right. Watched right, a few right. with no with no sound under di- different circumstances. But, um, this thing, so you, you you worry, right? You worry that you're going to get disappointed or are they biting off more than they can chew? We've only yeah. got like, say, an hour left and there's so many parts in play. And I couldn't be more satisfied. Like, it was perfect. It was, it was, it was, it was a perfect uh, end. I think I asked that hypothetical last week about how many of the dangling plot threads did we think we're going to get tied off. And, and Andy, you felt like there was a lot of resolution there. Yeah. And I, I would say the opposite. I felt like there was very little resolution. Um, I felt like a lot of the, the questions I had were not answered. Like we never got anything more on, on uh, Cassian's sister. That's okay. Maybe that's it. Maybe that's all there needs to be. I thought that that was a holdover for something bigger. Um, what's the deal with the Republic uh, impersonating the Confederacy? We never got a follow up on that. That all could come back. You have to wonder. They wrote it for the long game. They wrote it for at least two seasons. Season two is about to start filming here uh, very shortly. Yeah. How much of yep. that of season one was written with season two in in mind? I have to think they were planting seeds right from the get. Uh, absolutely. Absolutely. So yeah, I feel like um, uh, there was not a ton of resolution, but uh, you know, you follow, follow the news this week and, and a lot of the praise that's being leveled at the show, uh, particularly the, the last episode about how the final or the finale encapsulates everything that is good about the series. Mm-hmm. And for the most part, I agree with that. Yeah. Oh, look at that. I have a huge hole in my notes that I forgot to fill in. I did not. Who, uh, who was our director this week? It's a good question. Was it Tony? Uh-huh. Was it Tony who directed this week's episode? You know, normally I'm on top of this. I don't know what happened there. You mind? You want to pull that up for me, Andy? Yeah. Writer and director for this week's episode, and then we can get right into the breakdown. <laughs> normally by. this is what happens when you when you like your opening your opening crawl is a cut and paste from week to week and you forget a small detail listen while andy's looking that up i'm gonna go right into it here it is uh and or episode 12 it's called rick's road this one aired on november 23rd uh in 2022 on disney plus the runtime this week it's an advertised 57 minutes so it's up there with the longest running episode or it's 47 minutes and 18 seconds without your titles or credits. But wait, there's more. <laughs> there is a 33 second post credit scene this week, um, bringing the total length of the episode up to 47 minutes and uh, 51 seconds. Um, and as we talked, Hank, you mentioned it last week, not really a spoiler, but a uh, somebody in the media had leaked the entirety of the episode right um even if you didn't know that you should have been triggered this week when you were watching the episode because if you got to the credits you would have noticed that the credits did not minimize into the corner like they would for the next episode they just stayed full screen so that should have triggered you that there was something there if you didn't know that there was a post-credit scene pause our show go watch it and then come back and get us in the replay (laughs) 
or just watch <clears> us uh, at the same time. Is, it provides a str- like a resolution to a question. Uh, absolutely, it does. Um, yeah. What do you got for me? Uh, our director this week was Benjamin Karen. Benjamin Karen. Oh, right, because he did the la- he was doing the last two. Yeah, and our writer again is Tony Gilroy. Okay, uh, I probably could have guessed that, but yeah, better to be safe than sorry. Right. Let's accurate. get back into uh, what's going on here. Okay. Um, wow. For sure. What am I talking about here? Oh, right. Um, if you were like most people uh, who are watching television in the streaming age, you, you probably got your hand on the remote. And when the show starts, you're like, click, skip, 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 get to the thing. And it's something that we haven't talked a whole lot about over the course of the 12 weeks. In fact, it's something that we normally talk a, a whole lot about is the show's music. Mm. This week, the show's music plays a pivotal role. And just in case you missed it, there is a slight differentiation to the theme song practically every week. And this week is no different. In fact, this week it is the most stripped back almost sounds like a, like a, like a a band on the warmup, like a marching band. Mm -hmm. Maybe. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Definitely brassy. Anyway, Mm -hmm. don't want to jump too far ahead on that. That is going to come back later on in the episode. And we'll talk about that when it comes up organically, but that is a, that's an important detail uh, going into this yeah planted. yeah yeah all right our episode opens uh in the night uh oh my lord what are we talking about here uh that's not true it opens in salmon packs uh workshop where wilman is so- uh, soldering a circuit board and uh, he is intensely focused uh while he's uh, working now uh outside in the night sky of ferrix a lambda class shuttle uh, pulls in uh, landing beside a zeta class uh, heavy cargo shuttle well the boarding ramp drops and uh, dedra miro steps out into the night air flanked by two imperial death troopers uh, and they make their way towards the makeshift uh, imperial headquarters over at the ferrix hotel i love it she gets her vader uh her vader moment yeah, coming down so, the ramp. Yeah, the, that the gas is off, gassing, flanked by troopers, flanked by death troopers because she's dressed in white. Like it's yeah, yeah. You know, yeah. it's oh, you know, it's that's a deadly scene. That I is that. that um, we've talked about. Remember, we did our uh, evolution of the yeah. of the shuttle video. Yep. And uh, so the, the the lambda serves as a as a multiple roles, but one of them is executive shuttle. Yeah, and this mm-hmm. qualifies as a, one of its roles as an executive transport. <clears throat> it's just would, the the language. They, I mean, it's spot on. They're doing so many great things yeah. in cinematography yeah. here. Yeah. Uh, <clears throat> th- this episode is fantastic for small details, especially when I was going back and uh, and looking for details in previous episodes that tied back to this one. Didn't realize how much of the of the city of Ferrix itself got CG'd, um, and not just like. You know, like in like the Hanna Barbera, like it was like the someone's pulling a string and the thing's looping around and around yeah. and around. no, it's not like that at all. Yeah, yeah. Pull back. Uh, going back to episode one, uh, or sorry, episode I think three, when Luthen's coming in on the speeder bus and they do the pass over the city, you can clearly make out the hotel before we knew what the hotel was. But now that we're this far ahead, oh, like oh crap, mm-hmm. that's the hotel. Yeah, so well done one thing i would like to see though is like this image of her contrasted against the first one we got of her back in episode one. Oh yeah or, like back then we were like cheer like you know we were cheering for we her cheering oh for i her. know and now it's <laughs> like whoa 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 we we're so in her corner it turns out that uh, was a bad idea oops. yeah <laughs> uh, um small detail here that's uh they land beside a zeta class uh, shuttle now um casual fans may not know this but the zeta class uh, shuttle 
actually made its first on-screen appearance in Star Wars Battlefront. Uh, that's the video game from Electronic Arts back in December of 2016, which means it predates its first on-screen appearance in Rogue One by just 10 days. Hmm. So yeah, mm-hmm. first first appearance uh, in uh, Battlefront. Well, uh, inside her cell, Bix sits on the mattress in the center of the room while the overhead camera pivots to focus on her. Out in the hall, Dedra operates the controls as she observes her prisoner. Well, just then, Captain Tigo arrives and is somewhat surprised that Dedra is there. He tells her that she's just in time for dinner, but Dedra isn't interested in eating. She wants to change out of her uniform and take a walk around town. Pardon me. Security cameras are just, they're portable, like the Death Star cameras. That's, they're, they just, the exact that's their model. camera. Yeah, yeah they, but they just screwed it to the wall and it works. That's, right. that's, that's some heavy tech. When Captain Tigo offers to arrange an escort for her, she declines, opting instead to have attendant Corv show her around so as not to draw any attention. Well, meanwhile, back at uh, Repack, by the way, did we know that Repack? Did we get the name of uh, the shop? I think that's great. Yeah, it's pretty cool. Their last name, so Sal- uh, Salman and Wilman, their last name is Pack, P A A K. The name of the shop is Repack, hmm. and they sell salvage parts repack uh, very very clever (laughs) back at repack wilman works away at a device on the bench in front of him while just off to the side there's a hollow image of his now deceased father uh, salman flickering in the low light nothing like a little revenge fuel to uh, keep you going in the middle of night Mm. while outside the grapplers hall a meeting has just broken up and the workers disperse into the night just a few meters away, Zanwan leans against a wall, waiting to intercept Brasso. While not waiting, uh, wasting any time, he tells Brasso that uh, Cassian called the shop last night on what he describes as the old box line. Naturally, Brasso is shocked, and he says uh, to Zan, where is he? Of course, uh, Zanwan doesn't know. And then Brasso asks if Cassian knows about Marva, and uh, Zan tells him, well, he, he does now. He says it was a short conversation and that Cassian had asked about the funeral. Brasso urges them to keep walking as he and Zan, uh, um, as he and Zan, uh, oh, wow. (sighs) He and Zan know about Cassian's, uh, uh, sorry. Brasso asks how many people know about Cassian's phone call and Zan tells him no one. Wow. I chewed on that one about four different ways before I spit that one out. Yeah. Right. Uh, so no one at the same time, Nurchi, who has been standing inside uh, a re- open repair bay, takes notice of the two men and he follows them with his gaze as they walk past. There is a lot of people watching from shadowy. Corners. Absolutely. Well, you can see him standing in the shop there. The other question I had around the shop there is that white and yellow uh, vessel vehicle that they're working on. They walk past it and it looks like it's got two. Hmm. tail fins i'm like is that some kind of speeder i never i could not get a clear enough shot <laughs> to make out what it was so if you guys know what it is that they're working on back there i would love to uh, to know it reminded me of like one of the racing speeders out of the old droids cartoon but i didn't hmm. i didn't want to go that far and say that that's what it is because it's just not it's too ambiguous yeah right anyway brasso tells uh, zan to keep it that way noting that the Empire is watching Marva's place and they could be anywhere. Zanwan says it would be insane for Cassian to come back now. Meanwhile, Korv, now back in his disguise, shows Dedra, who's now also in disguise, around the streets of Barracks. 
unbeknownst to both of them, Cinta is tailing them. Uh, and there, there's a, there's one small, uh, question answered. Uh, last week I said, you know, that who's they are the one up on who they are literally two sides of the same coin. And the question is who's, who's got the leg up on the other. Well, we now know who that is. <laughs> Good girl. One thing I did want to point out here and I oh, sure. don't know why we didn't point it out before. Yep. But Corv's hat is very Imperial looking. You know, the, like even you for had just said a that, yeah, hat, yeah, yeah. But like, it matches up to what Dedra <clears throat> was wearing on her way in. Yeah, we we do so. see that as a prevailing style throughout the series. Even the uh, the Primor security caps were short Similar peak, to, yeah, short peak. Yeah. Um, and then and, later uh, on, yeah, we get a cap swap. Yeah, yeah, a weird cap swap. Say, if you ask me, but Dedra looks a lot like like rocking like an Asajj Ventress look here with the the, the hood and the high the, neck. The uh, her chiseled her jawline. That, yeah, you that, know what dark red the blood red you know what it reminded me of it mm. reminded me of uh clea's outfit when she met vel in uh yeah. coruscant yeah oh got our first comment first comment coming in from sean sean says i think it's a pod racer of some kind that you know that's entirely possible could be with them salvaging stuff i'm surprised not? that we haven't gone back to pod racing uh in the last what uh, 20 odd years well, <laughs> after the they have it on malice there <laughs> exactly <laughs> there's only one human that ever did it all right okay moving on um what do we got here now back at uh repack uh, the repack salvage shop wilman carefully inserts a cylindrical rod into the device that he's been working on and he twists it uh twists it into place whatever it is he's building his focus is all consuming at an outdoor cafe nurchi and zanwan are sitting at a table having a drink together well, Nurchi laments that uh, Cassian's absence for Marva's death and having Brasso place her stone is heartbreaking. He says, you've got to feel for Cassian. I'd be losing my mind before asking if Zanwan wants another drink. With a bit of a slur, Zanwan replies, maybe just one. And Nurchi takes the cup from his hand as he grins and says, why worry about it, though? It's not like he knows about it. Adding, I guarantee you, he has no idea what's going on. You can bank on that. Then he gets up from the table. Stupidly, Zan blurt, uh, blurts out, I wouldn't be so sure. Nurchi, now staring down at Zan, sternly remarks, if you know something that I don't, keep it that way. Before walking to the bar and ordering another round. He already Zan, knows. Oh, yeah. Zan, pin fiddle. Zan pinches his lip absentmindedly, not noticing that Nurchi has looked over his shoulder at him and then turns back toward the bar with a sinister smile on his face. Uh, I'm actually inclined to call it a greasy smile. Mm -hmm. uh, another, uh, this is kind of a bit of a stretch, but there's another fishing analogy here, fishing for information, mm -hmm. which I thought was interesting. All right. Meanwhile, uh, Wilman connects a loose wire to the device that he's been working on and with the wire securely connected. He looks over at the hollow image of his father before twisting a dial on the device and red indicator lights uh, come on. If there was any doubt before, it is clear that Wilmon has made a bomb. On Coruscant, uh, Mon Mothma and Perrin are, uh, Perrin are leaving yet another party. Mon is seated in the back seat of her limo, and she unclasps her overcoat and throws her head back with a sigh. Then Perrin climbs into the speeder, still with a drink in hand, and he says, I thought you'd left without me. And she says that she had thought about it before asking uh, the driver, Chloris, for some privacy. As he pulls away, Chloris activates the privacy screen while Perrin asks, what now? 
Turning and looking at her husband sternly, Mon accuses Perrin of gambling, and she says gambling again, like it's been a problem in the past. Perrin immediately denies her accusation, calling it nonsense, but Mon won't have it. She scolds him for doing it here on Coruscant and asks if he has any idea how tired of it she really is. Up front, Chloris eavesdrops by activating a listening device while he drives. Perrin calls Mon's accusations a total fantasy, and he wants to know who's telling her this. Mon dismisses him, but he insists, and with what seems like genuine sincerity at that. And for the second time, I feel sorry for Perrin. (laughs) Mm -hmm. Did you get it right away? Did you you know that she was playing him right away? Like, there's a scene later that explains it outright. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, Um, I'm going to talk about that in a minute. It's true. Like, I think... Like she's she's fully embracing her role. Like you know, yeah, yeah. She's she she's committed. Listening. Well, I said absolutely. last week. I said last week when she was talking to Val that uh, you know a lot of the the, the players have sort of um, talked about sacrifice and what they've given up for this rebellion. And I had said that Mon was building her sacrifice resume. Mm-hmm. She just put another entry in it. Yeah, this is a this is kind of a big one. Yeah. And also yeah. there's another resolution, uh, if you will. We we always knew that Clovis was a, a spy, but now, oh, now yeah. confirmed. Oh, for sure. Now that we've got it, yeah. Right. All right. Well, uh, ready to prove his innocence, Perrin tells his wife that uh, he'll turn the car around and they can go back to the party to confront whoever it is that put the idea in her head. And if Mon asserts, we will not. I've been shamed enough for one night. Continuing, she tells Perrin that if he can't live without a casino, that's fine. He can go to Canto Bite and do whatever it is that he feels uh, that he needs to do, but not here, adding that he promised. Well, Perrin shouts, I've kept my promise. And Mon scolds him like a child, telling him to keep his voice down. And as the Cameron looks back at Perrin from over Cloris's shoulder, Perrin asserts that, uh, you know, Cloris can't hear them, but indeed he can. Perrin says, this is wrong, Mon, adding that it's people trying to take her down by coming at him. He says, you tell me who's saying this and I'll tell you why, adding, where would I get the money? And Mon says, that's the question that scares me the most. And Perrin tells her that someone is lying to her. Mon shoots back on that. We can agree. Mm-hmm. A comment coming in from Facebook tonight says, the ultimate sacrifice, a piece of yourself. Absolutely. It's very Luthan like in that sense, that whole yeah. uh only Luthan, you know, announced it. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> All right. So uh Perrin has no idea that Mon just used his old gambling habit to cover for the missing four hundred thousand credits. Mm-hmm. That is one layer of that onion. Yep. Um, <laughs> did you guys consider the other other implication here? Maybe. By by saying that in front of Chloris, any suspicion that was leveled at Mon regards uh, with regards to any of her extra political activities are now leveled at him as well. Mm-hmm. So not only is it a cover for the money, it could be a cover for all of her machinations for the rebel, the nascent rebel alliance. Oh no, yeah, that she she was she rolled the bus over him and backed up a few Big times. Time. Yeah. <laughs> hundred percent um super crafty too because we don't that's the first time she's cut a throat if you will and like absolutely like, let's 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 be frank like it's she's definitely um 
there's going to be repercussions to that. Like uh, she's shone a spotlight on him. Um, you know, seeing Perrin like this, and we've we've gone back and I personally have gone back and forth with him. We've talked about Perrin quite a bit. The loveless marriage, the company he keeps. Sure, that he's uh, he's a Coruscanti socialite. He's connected to the inner political circle. You know, seeing him like this in the backseat of the car, I'm kind of like, well, the dude's definitely got some character flaws, but he didn't deserve this. You know what I mean? Like, I, I'm curious to see how this plays out in, in the next season to see what, what is in store for Perrin. Is it just a loveless marriage that's going to end because <laughs> of this? Or is it is going to like ultimate fall for Right, him? right. She doesn't do it like completely coldly i mean she's 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 at war with herself here in the in the opening of the scene yeah the whole that's you gotta wonder how far had he fallen and how far has he climbed back up you know whatever he did she's already implied in previous episodes that she wasn't for arranged marriage that it it is essentially a loveless marriage at the same time they had children together yeah so there Mm. had to be something there at some point presumably anyway all right. Well, um, over on uh, Ferrix, Vel uh, stands in Cinta's apartment, uh, waiting for Cinta to come home. And when Cinta bursts into the room, she rushes right past Vel without so much as a greeting, not even a hello. She peers into a camera that's set up at the window and she says, you're here. I couldn't remember if I'd locked the door or if you'd even remember how to get here. Gritting her teeth, Vel remarks, and here I am. Cinta says that she was on her way to pick her up but she's been watching an ISB agent and his boss just showed up tonight. And again, she's using those uh, repurposed projector binoculars. Oh yeah. Yeah. The, the camera camera one. Yeah. The camera one. Yeah. Well, disheartened Vel nods her head as she remarks, good to see you too. Cinta flashes a glare back at her before looking through a macro binocular and telling her that an ISB supervisor has come in tonight. It's a woman and she's here now. Cinta had good intentions to meet Vel, but with two ISB agents walking the streets of Ferrix, she had to follow. Um, remember that there was that scene with Vel and Mon Mothma where Vel parrots Cinta's words, the cause comes first, and yeah, we right. get whatever's left. I wondered if Vel was just parroting Cinta's words or if 100%. she had the if she had the conviction behind it. Turns out no, no, she didn't. <laughs> No, and she's still uh, like ugh. I. I get the distinct feeling that, uh, at least as far as Cinta goes, that thing is done. Like she, their relationship. Yeah, they. She can't look her in the eye. Mm. She's oh, just like yeah, she. True. You know, like even further on in the scene, like, and then there's another scene where they have they're together, and she is acting like the, uh, the disinterested, uh, you know, half of the, <laughs> you know. It, <clears throat> those kind of relationships where when, when one person is just sort of given up uh, or, I, or is so obsessed about something else that they can't be involved. It's, it's like, maybe it's like Reed Richards syndrome. I wonder if he's super distant at the same, you know what I mean? Yeah. Like, yes, I do. I do. Like I very, totally very distant. Like, I feel yeah. like this is early on. We don't get a sense of like how, you know, how recent is it in her lifetime that her parents were killed, that her family mm-hmm. was killed. We know that they were killed by the empire. And that is sort of her, her, uh, yeah, it's her motivation, right? We don't know how, how separated she is from that. I wonder if this is early on and maybe they're playing it for, you know, how far down do you have to go? How disconnected do you have to get before you realize that you just, your, your soul is empty 
and yeah. Vel is that connect with me. And I'm in that camp that she killed that that imperial family too. So I I mean yeah 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 been, yeah got some demons for sure. And yeah, uh, that's, I, that's a hard thing to process through a relationship. For sure, it is. Yeah. All right. Well, um, Cinta asserts that the Empire is preparing for something, and they must know that Andor is coming. Softening her countenance, Vel tells Cinta that she did the right thing, and uh, Cinta asserts that they have to they have to get there first. And Vel remarks, "I know." Before Cinta, before telling Cinta to come away from the window, still trying to connect with her. Mm-hmm. Facing Vel, Cinta sees the yearning and vulnerability in her eyes, and her expression softens a bit to match. If there's one thing that's true in any galaxy, it is the need for people to feel connected. Elsewhere on the streets of Ferrix, that same night, Cassian clings to a wall. Now, surveying his surroundings, he decides that the coast is clear, and he heads up a flight of steps past an old astromech droid, and he stops and places his hand on a brick with an inscription on it. As Cassian stands there with his hand on the brick, we can hear the voice of Clem Andor. Here's the thing, Cassian. The man who sees everything is more blessed than cursed. Uh, the droid, um, it, it's a hulk. It's a hulking shell. Looks like a like an R4, maybe? Because um, the head is a little bit too squat to be yeah. anything else. Um, and too angular to be an R5 or an R6. So who knows? Maybe it's an R4. Maybe it's a completely new droid model that we don't know. But yeah. Now, this is another thing. I talked to you guys about this. And now I just want to address our audience. We we try really, really hard to translate the language that uh, that we see week in and week out. Um, this is kind of stumping. Yeah. Um, this one is a bit of a stump. We know that oh. it's it says Clem Andor in some some way, shape, or form. But you know what? Mm-hmm. I am kicking myself right now. Why? Because back in the first Aldani episode, yeah, when they hand him that sheet of Aldani phrases. Oh, you think that was in that script? It it introduced us to a new oh language. new language. Never I thought. Didn't even think to check. Never even script. thought to go back to that one. That's yeah. a very good. Oh, we'll have uh, to. This, we'll do again, a follow. This is on, on Ferrix, right? So that's true. That's might too, not that's apply, but could be a local dialect, right? Could be, yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. Uh, basic, uh, being both a spoken and a written language. I mean, for sure, there's going to be dialects for yeah. sure. But yeah, I'm, I would double down saying that it says clam and or just. Uh, I would say so too, for sure. Easy, what we yeah. know about the bet. funeral. While flashing back to Cassian's teenage years, Clem tells his son, "Look at that! Here we go!" As he removes an engine component from an acid bath. Staring at the part, Clem says, hard to believe, right? Two minutes, no longer, no shorter, as he holds the piece up for young Cassian to look at. Rhetorically, Clem asks Cassian if he knows why this particular piece isn't made anymore. It's because they'd rather sell you a brand new system at ten times the price. Well then, grabbing another one of the dirty used components, he remarks that they have like 60 or 70 of them laying around, and that each of those equates to 500 credits adding that uh, people don't look down to where they should. They don't look past the rust, but not us. Eyes open, possibilities everywhere. Mm-hmm. Jokingly, he says they just need to get it cleaned up before Marva finds them doing their work in the house. Then, using the tongs, he dips the component into the acid bath, and we cut back to Cassie and still touching his father's ferrex brick as tears roll down his face. Now, the sentiment here, it echoes the one they gave us in that movie, uh, Robots, with Robin Williams. Yeah. How, you know, Buildwell was always, you know, recycle those parts. Right, The guy that took over is like always, buy the upgrade, get the new, the flash. Oh, right, right, right. 
I kind of took it as a metaphor, you know, the whole slow down and take a look around. Yeah. Yeah. Cause you can keep going with what you've got if you know where to look. Yeah, exactly. Heading down the street, Cassian stops to look around before climbing over a wall. It's the wall to Bix's yard, not Marva's house, like some other people reported this week. No. Um, jumping down, he is met by uh, two charging Karelian hounds that hit the end of their chains before they can reach him. Cassian pulls his blaster, ready to defend himself as a voice calls out, Who's there? Well, then a man shines a light in Cassian's eyes, and the two recognize each other. It's Pegla from the used ship lot. The two men embrace as Pegla says, I don't believe it. Overcome with emotion, Pegla struggles to uh, tell Cassian how sorry he is about Marva and how much he loved her, like I'm sure a lot of people did. Cassian asks what he's doing there, and Pegla tells him that he's been keeping an eye on the place until it can be sold. Cassian is shocked by that, and he says, where's Bix? And he tries to push past Pegla. But with a hand on Cassian's chest, he stops him. And Cass asks again, where is she? And uh, Pegla looks troubled as he fumbles with what to say. Now, do we think these Karelian hounds are of any like genealogical re relation to the Rancor based you know, on their facial structure? Maybe. Somewhere down the line. I mean, if we want to trace the monster lineage, I mean, th then they share some lineage with uh, the the monster from uh, Willow, the two-headed Hydra thing. Yeah. You know, they, they all have a similar kind of uh, design aesthetic and i mean the rancor well i think that was another phil Tippett design so mm -hmm. i mean it makes sense i mean he did both of them fair enough one is a is a tribute to the other but <clears throat> i agree they do they have that that look with the the no yeah. the nostril set way that where they are the head shape well, we get a montage uh, sequence, which is kind of uh, interesting here. Uh, uh, there are different locations on Ferrix, and it's at night during a thunderstorm. First, we begin with Bix, who's sitting on the mattress in her cell, shivering, uh, shivering at the hotel headquarters. We then shift over to Luthen, who's looking at the city through macro binoculars from a faraway distance before we finally land on Cassian, who's now sitting inside Clem and Marva's salvage hauler, and he's listening to the narration of Nemec's manifesto, which is in Nemec's own voice, which is very cool. What's really cool about this is that they're revisiting all the the scenes from the first episode. Like they're yeah. like you know, it's um, their bookends See where they started, and oh, yeah, they even the, even the pacing yeah. of this part of the story is is yeah, identical. Yeah, yeah. The way we cut back and forth between these sort of three stories. Uh, for really those cool. of uh, for those who are uh, are watching the uh, video version of the show, took the liberty of uh, of transcribing um, the entire speech. <laughs> so, um, for your pleasure, you have it in English and Orabesh. Um, threw it up in Orabesh to sort of give you the the feel like how Cassian was getting it. Mm -hmm. There will be times when the struggle seems impossible. I know this already. Alone, unsure, dwarfed by the scale of the enemy. Remember this. Freedom is a pure idea. It occurs spontaneously and without instruction. Random acts of insurrection are occurring constantly throughout the galaxy. There are whole armies, battalions that have no idea that they've already enlisted in the cause. Remember that the frontier of the rebellion is everywhere, and even the smallest act of insurrection pushes our lines forward. And remember this, the imperial need for control is so desperate because it is so unnatural. 
Tyranny requires constant effort. It breaks. It leaks. Authority is brittle. Oppression is the mask of fear. Remember that. And know this. The day will come when all these skirmishes and battles, these moments of defiance, will have flooded the banks of the Empire's authority, and there will be, then there will be one too many. One single thing will break the siege. Remember this. Try. Um, interestingly enough, uh, for those of you who may or may not watch with the subtitles, rebellion is capitalized again. Mm. Um, so formal rebellion as a, as a proper name. Mm-hmm. It's a, I love that distinction, by the way. Um, awesome speech. Love that it's in Nemec's voice. So happy that the, they recovered the manifesto, um, still has to make its way to Mon's hands or, yeah. well, it's, it's, it's in Luthen's hands now. So yeah. I mean, it's as good as there. <laughs> but again, the one thought in there, oppression is the mask of fear. Oh, Power yeah. doesn't panic. No, it doesn't. Somebody else saying it in a different way. Um, there will be one. Uh, where is it here? Uh, their day will come when all the skirmishes and battles, these moments of defiance will have flooded the banks of the Empire's authority, and there will be one too many. One yeah. single thing will break the siege. Alderaan. Mm-hmm. Yeah, snub, snub. Yeah. Oh well. The, yeah. yeah. Right. <clears throat> yeah. I mean, the rebellion was a real thing by that time, but I mean, when when they blew up an entire planet, isn't that when like a bunch more worlds got involved? Yeah. Maybe it'll. I think be... it was already. I mean, they were already. It was already on. That was just like the uh, yeah, the, that's true. The straw, for yeah. sure. Yeah. Yeah. Like I mean, <clears throat> they were already making. You know, they they had gone from Scarif to the next step is we have to take it to the de- the right. That's right, the whole right. point of getting it. You know, whether uh, the Skywalker thing occurred or not, they would have made a Death Star attempt. Whether they killed, they destroyed yeah, Alderaan yeah, yeah. or not, I think they were they were headed for. I mean, maybe you know. You know I mean, what Jeddah is the the test fire. Jetta city maybe that's kind of you know a, a polarizing moment for the galaxy at large mm-hmm. you know they, well it, they they do he tarkin says that he let's disavow that like let's send out information that's true a mining yeah. accident yeah, yeah we don't want them to know that like that we did it i think that the uh, first time and there was another wasn't there another use of the death star too i guess scarif scarif when they took i the, guess scarif the, uh, too right yeah yep. so i think that maybe the first time it was used publicly probably alderaan so alderaan might, might yeah onto something maybe there. maybe alderaan yeah. yeah going further that was maybe the empire's announcement oh yeah really <laughs> yeah there yeah well definitely an answer to a growing rebellion yeah well over at the imperial headquarters uh, sometime the next day captain tigo gives dedra an update on the situation surrounding marva's funeral standing over a hollow table he tells her that air traffic has been loosened uh, uniform patrols have been pulled back and the curfew has been relaxed. He says that the trap is baited and they've opened the door. He also says that they have recon units prepared and positioned and acknowledges uh, that Dedra also has her own resources, uh, particularly uh, Corv and the, the death troopers. Mm-hmm. Well, she asks Tigo what time the funeral is and he tells her that it was requested for midday, but he's pushed it back by two hours, noting that the townspeople the townspeople tend to slow down after a lunch. That's a direct quote, by the way, like Mm -hmm. talk about stereotyping. (laughs) They get lazy after lunch. Sounds like some jobs that I've been in. (laughs) Oh yeah. (laughs) The day's dragging on. 
that's true yeah uh cut to the balcony uh of the control room and dedra and corv overlook the city center as uh lieutenant keysax points out that uh, the funeral area down the street at the lower uh, at the tower junction and he calls it the box captain tigo says they limited the gathering to just 30 people but when the daughters of ferrix pushed back they upped it to 40 dedra asks uh the daughters what's that and Korv tells her that it's a social club that Cassian's mother had been a past president of. Tigo calls them an annoyance, while Kisax points out uh, various control positions on the street, as well as intended positions for a containment unit and snipers. Well, Dedra agrees with the containment unit, but she orders the snipers be stood down because she wants Cassian brought in alive. And she emphasizes that she wants that information disseminated clearly amongst the ranks and then steps off the balcony back into the building. Um, I, I took a, I had to watch it a couple times because it's such a quick thing. But look at the look that Tigo gives Keysax when she leaves. He is <laughs> so like not impressed to have his order countermanded. Yeah, and by a woman, no less. Well, there is that. Okay, down the street, uh, sorry, down at street level, an Imperial speeder fitted with uh, a heavy blaster cannon and manned by two stormtroopers and an army trooper moves down uh, Rick's road. Excuse me. It's an oppressive sight to the civilian population, but everyone does their best to go out their to go about their business, including Vel, who's uh, now dressed in a low key outfit, complete with a cap that fits the local style. Um you know, like all the other vehicles we've seen recently and, and all the way back to 77 speeders tend to be real world vehicles with shells on them. Mm, yeah. I'm assuming this is some kind of Land Rover ish vehicle. Mm. Uh, like the fact that it's got a, it's got a droid kind of secondary droid there. Assist. Yeah. Yeah. With what looks like some kind of smaller blaster on top. Not really sure what it is, but it's a pretty cool design. Yeah, maybe it's like the, uh, the heavy duty brother of the, uh, the stretcher overall. Oh, maybe it that the head looks the same yeah. anyway. Yeah, it does. yeah, right. Or like a squat, uh, squat BB head. Yeah, looks like an E web on the back too. Well, that it, it's it does, but it looks to me, you know what it looks like? It looks like a fifty cal. That's got yeah. Some <laughs> it looks like a straight up fifty. Cal, that's right? what I thought. I'm like, oh, the fifty cal blaster. Um, which by the way, we get to see in action a little bit later too. Uh, and I made sure to include uh, images for that because there's an interesting point about that. Well, now back at the central office on uh, uh, Coruscant, uh, Cloris, the limo driver, meets with Supervisor Blevin, who has been glaringly absent for the last several episodes. Been usurped. Blevin recounts uh, Mon Mothma's words about Perrin's, suppo- Perrin's supposed gambling habits, and Cloris says, "That's it, word for word." Well, Blevin asks if she was more she Mon Mothma was more worried about him lying to her or the possibility of gambling debts. Clara says it's hard to say. And Blevin asserts that Mon Mothma is of great interest here, and uh, that Perrin digging a hole for himself could be helpful in many ways. Many ways. Mm -hmm. In the background, we actually hear uh, clapping erupt, while uh, Cloris tells Blevin that it sounded to him like Perrin had done this before. Blevin says that they've made some odd banking moves recently. And uh, Perrin, Perrin's resurgent gambling habit would explain that. So um, those audits that Mon had talked about that take Homa already happened. I guess they've 
or, unless the ISB has dug in on their own, yeah. which I'm sure they have. Yeah. Can we assume that these uh, banking audits have started? Yes. Yeah, I would, I would say so. I would assume so. I, would I, say I, so. I, I um, like I was saying, on one of the previous episodes, I don't think there's a distinction like before in the in the Republic era with the banking clan. Yeah, I don't. I don't think there's a distinction anymore. I think that's that's just a, a bureau of the empire. Oh, yeah. The same way that yeah, you know, yeah. uh, like Cyril's a bean counter, but I think that's a lesser. <laughs> that's just a lesser yeah, arm yeah, of yeah. the empire. Exactly, you know, exactly. But same way, Primor, even the Primor are, are are sort of an offshoot, like an appendage, if you will. And as soon as they, you know, they amputate it, if it becomes useless. Facebook comment uh, uh, viewer asks, was Mon wise to the rat? Um, Mon being wise to the rat as in like Chloris, the limo driver? Yes. If that's what we're saying, then the answer is, oh, yes. I mean, she, yeah. she, she made, told Luthen, yeah, my right, driver she, yeah. is an ISP plant. They just Her fur was up for again. sure. Oh, the yeah. Whole time. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I would say that, yeah, resoundingly, yes. Um specifically why she chose uh in the car to set Perrin up knowing that that information was going to get back to right get back to them somehow and of course it makes perfect sense that chloris is reporting directly to blevin yeah uh, he was such a the, the rivalry was so palpable between him and dedra it it didn't make sense for him to just disappear no you know i i get it he's upset he just had a, an entire sector taken away from him but now he needs to deliver something to get back in the good graces. Absolutely. So, the sign re reminds me of the inverse happening with Lonnie yeah. and, and Luthen. And oh, then yeah. I, I, I worry about that uh, loose end not have, you know, um, you don't, we don't see him in the episode at all. And that worries no. me because I, I, I'm sure that Dedra knows. Uh, we do see, we do see Lonnie. Do, do we in the, yep. uh, the group? We're about, we? we're about to see him in, a, okay. in the next few well, seconds. I, I feel a little better then. Yeah, he's he's made it thus far. Um, but going back to Blevin, I mean, there's a there's a season two, like yeah, the the rivalry will continue, and that oh, yeah. that's gonna be an interesting let's see how that plays out. Will it mirror the Sintakorv thing? Maybe. Maybe, I don't know. Is Blevin the reason why that stuff happens that forces her to leave the Senate? Oh, I don't know. Maybe. Like, is he the one that uh, kicks that whole thing off? Maybe. We well, Blevin, uh, sorry, what am I saying here? Uh, just then, oh, I need to go back. Uh, so just then, Supervisor Legret strolls past and stops to tell Blevin that he's missing the update on Anto Krieger's failed assault on Spellhouse. Blevin sternly tells Chloris to keep listening, and then he heads off uh, to the meeting room. This is where we see Lonnie. Uh, Blevin rushes into the meeting right. room where he's met by Legret and Young. Legret tells him emphatically that he can close his Anto Krieger file. And Blevin asks, how many attacked? And uh, Lonnie Young says they're still counting the bodies. Legret adds that they walked right into it and it was over before they started. So no Anto Krieger for us. No. <laughs> <laughs> but it was a fun exercise to try and gas the guy. It was. Blevin asks if there are any prisoners and Young casually remarks, not today. While Legret tells Blevin, uh, guess who wasn't happy about that, adding that she called in and Major Partigas has been talking her down, which I found to be an interesting, uh, interesting uh, perspective. True, though. Mm -hmm. Very true. This actually reminded me of that thing we talked about where remember I had suggested early on that, like, 
Dedra embarrassing Partagaz in front of the rest of the supervisors could work for him later on. Like, oh, she's doing a good job, which means I'm doing a good job. Yeah. Right. right so right. now all this stuff got set up that he can go, look what I did. And now he's just kept her out of the loop. Look what I did. Yeah. <laughs> I don't know if that's the case here, but it could easily be it spun that way. Me. Yeah. 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 Cutting to the other side of the room, we see Major Partagaz, uh, who's taking a video call from Dedra Miro. She laments that she wasn't part of the conversation surrounding the assault on Spellhouse. And the Major tells her it wasn't a dialogue. Dedra asserts they get nothing from a dead body. And someone needs to be in the room saying that. But the Major tells her that she's missing the point. He says that the actions at Spellhouse were about wiping the taste of Aldani from the Emperor's mouth. He concludes by telling her that if she wants to start a conversation, find Axis. When the comm channel closes, Dedra walks over to a window and looking outside, she heaves a calculating sigh. She's clearly not happy about being excluded from the plan. Andy, this one was yours, my friend. Um, you'd predicted this. That it was their... Uh, the Empire just wants to swing a bigger a bigger stick. Yeah, their response as yeah, it was. Yeah, yeah. This is our, you, you do all Donnie, we'll do this. Yeah. I mm. thought that was pretty cool. This is the first time we get like a video chat. Video calls? Like, isn't it like a box? Maybe. Everything's a hologram. Yeah, this is like Typically. actual like like tube, well, tube TV like, thing. The phone it's call, I guess. <laughs> it's, it's like, it looks like like you can see it's full color. Yeah. You know, the, <laughs> you assume that the hologram well, tech is like old fashioned. video phone at Edie's apartment. Yeah, where we get That's uh, right. Mosk and his well, phone call. But that was sort of like a doorbell, I thought, though. Oh no, no, you're right. Was, yeah, you're right, it was a that is a call. Yeah. The, uh, yeah, yeah. yeah, that's accurate. true. That's that's very true. I do Maybe like the mix though. Tech. I do I like that mix of older, newer, hmm. you know, just maybe it's like what can you afford? Mm. Right. The emperor can afford a hologram. <laughs> of course he can. But not a couple of monitors. <laughs> no. <laughs> <laughs> Someone plug that thermal uh, portal. A little bit of uh of uh Orabesh this week uh on the big screen there, and it looks like uh possible like locations where battles have taken place but it says uh, imperial saturation so here's where all the troops were yeah exactly all right well in a hidden valley on ferrix by the way i went back and i i, I went through this quite a few times it is the exact same parking spot as uh, the first time he came mm-hmm. to in a hidden valley on ferrix luthan steps off his fondor hallcraft to a waiting speeder bike while the ship reconfigures itself into a smaller profile, pulling Darth his much, <laughs> pulling his hood up, he twists the throttle and races off towards the city. Um, I, I don't. Did I send this one over to you guys earlier this week? Uh, possibly. Yeah. I did a little starship study. I know that this that not the focus of this week's episode. It probably was better off last week. But I was watching, believe it or not, I was, I was a big fan of uh, of uh, Adam Savage, former Mythbuster. Yes. Uh, his tested YouTube channel. And he was looking at uh, maquettes of the Tauntaun, uh, including some other designs that Phil Tippett had done. And he was talking about how a, a good artist, whether they're a, a model maker like he was or somebody like Phil Tippett who did stop motion, a good model maker will not only conceive of the look of the thing that they are building, they will conceive of the function. So every, why is one eye sticking out more than the other? Why like that kind of stuff so that everything has a real world in universe context and doesn't just look cool. 
Although in this case, it does look cool. And that led me to thinking, um, we've seen the Fondor parked before. Mm-hmm. Um, and we've seen it parked in different ways. Um, like in this case, you can't really see it here because I couldn't capture it very well. The wings in this case fold right over top. They don't just kind of stick out. They're like right over top. Kind of like the Batmobile shell. Right. Well, in our last episode, the descriptive audio talked about when they folded up, that they folded out like a, like a shield. Mm -hmm. And that got me wondering about the real world function of these wings. What else do they do? We know that they house at least an engine in each one. We know that the end of the, the, the wing strut is where the, the laser weapon is, but I had this idea. Now we've seen it. So there it is. I went back and that's how I knew we're in the same Valley. Cause look at episode three, the wings, they're folded right on top. Yeah. Which is different than episode four Aldani where they're left kind of hanging out. And then here on Rick's road, they're folded right on top again. Hmm. So we never get a really, really good look at the ship itself, but we do get a pretty awesome wire frame diagram. And so I kind of put this together to give an idea of what it might look like with the wings folded up right on top. Hmm. And so I want to propose, this is just me get going off the rails. Cause you know how much I love ships and stuff. Um, do the wings have some anti radar, anti sensor property that when the ship is parked, you know, like you cover the top of the ship and now it can't be detected from above. Well, it definitely changes the look of it. Certainly so changes the profile. If you're looking for a wider ship, yeah, yeah, yeah. You look at that and say, no, that ain't it. Yeah, it looks, it physically looks different. Yeah. But the radar signature, smaller. True. But with the uh, the onboard navigation AI that he's got. The droid mod. Yeah. Yeah. It, you'd think it was constantly running something. I, I just wonder why there is because, smoking tech that exists, but it's well, crazy right. Rare, right. Well, he even said, look at what he says in this episode, uh, prepare for evac full stealth. Yeah. Uh, uh, full stealth. Um, what? Yeah. We didn't get to see what that looks like, but as you say, there, the, the tech is out there. Yeah. I just wondered if maybe this is one of those things where Luthen sets the wing profile based on the perceived threat of wherever he's going which doesn't make sense. And we're going to go to Aldani. There's a whole garrison there, but just leave the wings open. Yeah, but that's <laughs> Aldani. He wasn't there for a long time. He was just there. To that's true. He's, he never left the ship. No, no, that's a good point. Whereas I mean, here he's leaving the ship. Yes. He's leaving, leaving, he's going away for who knows how long lock the doors yeah. and le- do don't, that. don't leave any change in the cup holder. Yeah. Yeah. I hear you. All right. So I just, that was just a fun little exercise in like, Hey, I wonder what this does. <laughs> and maybe in that configuration, they reflect some sort of signal. I don't know. Yeah. 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 Well, back in town, Corv strides across uh, the rooftop of uh, the cafe uh, across the street from Marva's house, sipping on a calf, looking over the edge at uh, Marva's front door. He sees a grappler exit the building with B2 EMO. Getting a good look at the man, Corv realizes that's not Brasso, and he calls it in on his comm link and says they've been played, and he demands to know where the big man is. While inside a maintenance tunnel under a shed, Cassian retrieves a knife uh, from his bag while Pegla keeps a lookout through a grate overlooking the, uh, the shed door. From the other end of the tunnel, a light shines down, blinding Cassian, and uh, he gasps quickly realizes hey uh, it's brasso and the two men share an embrace grief stricken Bra- uh, cassian tells brasso that he wanted marva to leave with him 
that he came back to get her. And uh, Brasso says that uh, Marva would did tell him that. Cassian laments that he couldn't get back. And Brasso tells him that he shouldn't be here now. Guilt-ridden, Cassian says the last time that he saw his mother, they argued, and he told her that he was coming back. But Brasso tells him, don't, and to stop. Anguished, Cassian says he never should have left. He never should have left that morning. But again, Brasso forcefully says, stop. Well, then softening his tone, he tells Cassian that Marva told him that he would say everything that he just told him now. And when Cassian looks up at him, Brasso gives him the final message from his mom. Tell him none of this is his fault. It was already burning. He's just the first spark of the fire. Very Poe Dameron-like, by the way. (laughs) Tell him he knows everything he needs to know and feels everything he needs to feel. And when the day comes and those two pull together, he will be an unstoppable force for good. Tell him, I love him more than anything he could ever do wrong. Um, I did not full on cry this week, but I had, I welled up more of this episode than any other episode in the series so far. With a clenched jaw, Cassian stares up at Brasso as he takes in his mother's last words. Just then, Pegla, who's standing on a ladder below the grate, signals to the two men to be quiet as two Imperial soldiers pass by outside. When the soldiers pass, Pegla says that the street is clear, and he beckons the two to hurry up. Cassian asks about Bix, and Brasso tells him that they have uh, they still have friends inside the hotel that have confirmed that Bix was alive at least three days ago. Cassian asks, why are they holding her? And Brasso proposes that she must know something. Checking his blaster, Cassian says they can't just leave her there. And uh, Brasso retorts, you're going to take on a full garrison? The glare from Cassian is the only answer he needs, as Brasso says he'll take care of Marva. Then, pointing at Cassian, he says, you take care of yourself. But Cassian says, uh, says it's too late for that. And he heads off down the tunnel towards the grate. Brasso watches him go for a second before turning around and going back down the tunnel the same way he came in. On the Ferrick speeder bus, Cyril Karn and Linus Mosk ride into town. Each man appears to be dressed in an appropriate local attire, but without so much as a glance at each other, the two men trade hats. <laughs> Presumably, Mosk thinks the switch will better complete their outfits. Maybe. Um, I, I, I took the opportunity here, again, uh, for you guys who are watching the, the show live or getting it on the replay, you can see what I'm talking about here. Uh, this is the this is a, a conglomerate of the first time we saw them when they showed up in their pre-war uniforms. And I mean, again, the, the hat thing, there is a similarity, so I, I'm not really sure what the significance to the hat swap is. Maybe it's like a hats off to you, sir. Like you brought me the info and I, don't I know. came back. Um, I mean, so I was I just watched the entire thing again, and I was yeah, thinking sure. I was looking at um, the, I think it was episode three where they yeah. had the big fight on okay. uh, on Ferrix. Yeah, and all the uh, officers have orange brims on their hats, and all the rest <sighs> of the guys have blue hats. And I think he was uh, literally giving him the orange officer's hat. Like that. that's an interesting thought. Like he's still, like he still feels I like mean, he's they, his they both have his rims, But I, I see where you're going with that. Like he was the officer where Mosk was right. the sergeant, right? Yeah. So I got a brown one. You got a. I got an orange one. You got a brown one here. That you're the officer. You wear this. Right. Right. 
that's an that's interesting kind of detail. Yeah, that is a I, very interesting. And detail. I only thought about it in terms of that when I watched the previous episodes, and all the twelve men that went the went with them had blue brims. Oh, they were just a lower. The two officers had orange rank yeah. and file. Oh, that's yeah. very interesting. It it says a lot about their relationship too. Like that, like we said at the phone call, he still calls him sir. Yeah, mm-hmm. you know, like absolutely. That's, that's weird. All right. Well. Yeah. They both believed in what they were doing at the time. Right? No, they absolutely did. Like, yeah, justice was not. Oh, and they still three more brothers. And I mean, he's level. following him blindly into something he doesn't even know why he's there. He's just following him. The, the joke, Hank, you had said. I wonder if he's going to swing by Marlana one and pick him up. Um, <laughs> yes, he did. Sure, he did. Sure, he did. <laughs> I wonder uh, how pissed Edie is about the amount of money that he stole from him, and how much money did he actually take? That'd be interesting. Mm. Does she even know yet? Well, by now she probably does. Although you know. You know, uh, hyperspace being what it is. Yeah. He just left 10 minutes ago. Exactly. <laughs> okay. All right. Meanwhile, back in town, Pegla exits the utility shed onto the street. Uh, he closes the door behind him and he briskly walks away. Unbeknownst to him, though, Nurchi has been watching from down the street the whole time. Meanwhile, inside the utility shed, Cassian climbs out through the grate and he goes over to another ladder on the wall and he begins climbing up to the upper level of that building. I'm just going to put it out there now. Nurchi is a freaking weasel. Yeah, yeah. yeah. It's Anything that, it's yeah, I mean, <laughs> that that right from the beginning where it's like, oh, you you got the big guy to come and be your muscle. You know, I get it that Cassian, we're not supposed to like Cassian in those first episodes, and we don't. Mm-hmm. You know, he's, he's wronged people. I mean come on like well it's funny because it's all these other characters have evolved to the big picture and he's still playing a petty game oh yeah 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 okay well elsewhere in town vel sits on a street corner and she watches as a contingent of stormtroopers march past shortly afterwards luthan joins her and asks if cassian has come home vel says that they the imperials seem to think so uh the um adding that an Imperial uh, ISB supervisor has recently arrived in town. Luthan asks if it's a woman, and Vel mockingly says, you know her. But Luthan answers with a straight, not yet. He calls the Imperial activity good. And when Vel says, how is this possibly good? He tells her that the Empire will hunt Cassian for them, and all they have to do is kill him before they start asking any questions. Luthan asks how long until the festivities start, and Vel tells him that he has a few hours, but he'll hear the time grappler ring the anvil to announce the start. Luthan then asks where Sinta is, and she tells him watching the mother's house. He tells Vel, forget about that, and uh, have uh, to have her head over to the hotel while he takes a look around town. Can we just talk about his plan for a second there? Yeah, sure we can. So he's 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 like moving chess pieces around the board to, yep. you know, uh, purchase items uh first of all uh you know he's purchased several of cassian's items without meeting cassian in the past this is the idea that he's he's yeah. met with bix six consecutive yeah. times probably bought five or six items uh you know and then use them right for the rebellion against the empire and distribute them and to then he orchestrated this aldani heist to to really put a you know a dent in their their finances if you will steal yeah. steal payroll and I guess more than just to put a dent in their their payroll, but is to to, to fund his their thing. own funding, their own yeah, yep. yeah, turn it against them. Um, but then he's going to just kill a prisoner, like it, like <laughs> you know they've got a garrison here, 
I uh, feel just, like that ties. His plan is to just the... wait till they get him and then get you know, like this is so brazen here. But I I do because I'm going to go off later in the episode. Sure, I, sure. I really feel like Luthen Rail, despite Tony Gilroy's you know, um, uh, I don't know what the word is. Uh, direction. Right to, to the contrary. I yeah. think Luthen Rail is a force user, if not straight up a Jedi. Interesting. And, and um, a Jedi, a Jedi or a Sith wouldn't. They might plan all these other things, but when the, oh, the sure. moment Bush comes to shove, he's going to act regardless of the odds, and that's that's a crazy Jedi-like trait. Yeah. And I'll get into who I think he is. It comes up more organically later. Um, Certainly there's that, uh, on another level, it kind of fits in well with the conversation that he had with saw about how Anto Krieger can hurt him and mm -hmm. Cassian can hurt Luthen in a similar way that Anto Krieger would Luthen Cassian knows who Luthen is. No, it was saw that could hurt him. Sorry. You're right. Sorry. It was saw saw, had a face saw face can face. hurt, uh, can hurt Luthen yeah, in a way that Anto and, Krieger and, couldn't. And Cassian could feasibly identify him. It's like, we yeah, have to exactly. kill him before they begin exactly. asking questions, yeah. but he's, he's here in the flesh about to attempt to kill somebody in, in you know, Imperial, like <laughs> he'll be in Imperial is, custody. He we'll just was nuts. This plan yeah. is off the chains nuts like he's, he's not thinking clearly i don't think i mean point. conceivably he could just fire up the ship you know it hit the hotel from the air and hope they kill everybody inside what's his plan his plan is literally to wait for them to get him and <laughs> yeah. then we'll kill him then that's like, right so what does he know that we don't well i i don't know because <laughs> he had know. a vision of the future the other thing I want to talk about here in this scene in particular is we spent an awful long time talking about the relationship between Vel and Luthen. She is angry at him for something and she's been holding back here. They are face to face and we get nothing. Yeah. We get absolutely nothing, no development there whatsoever. And I was like, what? Not even like, we'll talk about it later just to let us know that that's ongoing. Like nothing. Yeah, but at the same time, both of them realize that there's literally a garrison walking by. Well, and if yeah. you start causing a scene now, it's all going to go to Sure, hell. I can accept that. Yeah. I can accept that. Yeah. I don't like it, but. No, but like now <laughs> it's not the time to be blowing up at him. All right, that's fair. That is fair. Well, uh, suddenly the anvil rings out, and uh, both Luthen and Vel are a little confused as to what the heck is going on. And perhaps they would have had it out if it hadn't been two hours early. Maybe. Maybe. Yeah. yeah, yeah. Well, as the anvil rings out from the bell tower, uh, Imperial troops stop to take notice, including Lieutenant Kisax, who steps out from the hotel to investigate. Luthen tells Vel to uh, get Cinta, and he'll be at the hotel. And the time grappler continues to ring the bell. Now, uh, once again, the descriptive audio tells us, in case you missed it the first time, like apparently I had forgotten, <laughs> <laughs> no sweat. the Time Grappler's anvil is made of Beskar, which I probably should have known, considering the shape of it and the fact that it looks like, you know, um, Damascus steel, just like that ingot we saw mm -hmm. in the Mandalorian. Um, I don't know if we talked about it, though, in the previous episode. How did that much Beskar get here to begin with? Yeah. Was it a gift? And being what we know about Beskar and how valuable it is. Right. It just sits there. Like, the, I get it's heavy, but. You saw how uh, Paz Vizsla reacted to the Imperial 
uh, ingots and how like they were stolen. Yeah. So, I mean, this anvil clearly predates the empire because we see the empire show up. Mm. Yeah. So that's the big question for me is how did it get here? And more importantly, why didn't it get taken back? Or is that about to happen in season two? I don't know. I don't know. I kind of feel like maybe we're not going to, I don't think we're coming back to Ferrix uh, before season two. Maybe. I don't think so. Anyway. Yeah. Um, Baskar. Baskar Anvil. Baskar Anvil. Cassian now inside a crawl space at the top of uh, the building that he just scaled. Uh, crawls forward on his hands and knees to an opening that overlooks uh, the town center. Elsewhere, uh, the horn section of a marching band warms up while at the same time, Dedra uh, marches into the, ho- the headquarters room at the hotel asking, what's going on? Tigo, dressed with his poncho over his uniform, storms past her saying that he's not sure, and he heads off to investigate as well. Uh, on another street, the woodwind section of a band begins their warm-up while just outside Marva's house, Jezzy and the daughters of Ferrix adjust their ceremonial, u- ceremonial uniforms in preparation for the funeral. As the Beskar anvil continues to ring out, Luthen makes his way down Rick's road towards the hotel. At the same time, Cyril Karn and Linus Mosk also move toward the town center. Cut to a balcony with an Imperial soldier on it, we can hear a guard's radio uh, and we can hear music. Cassian, still perched in the crawl space, watches as things slowly begin to unfold. Taking out a small uh, monocular, um, he moves to another opening in the corner of the building and he, begin, he begins to scan the hotel windows across the street. A drummer begins to beat a cadence and the brass section falls in behind him and begins to play. Mourners on both sides of the street make way for them while at the same time, Jezzy leads the daughters of Ferrix from Marva's house. And as the parade moves, more and more citizens join in. Wilman Pack, now wearing his father's jacket, closes the door to the shop and he locks it. And you get the look that, like, he's locking it up for the last time. Yeah. Like, I'm not coming back. Mm-hmm. All right. Climbing a set of stairs, Wilman also falls in with the procession. On another street, Korv, dressed in his street attire, tries to make sense of what's going on as he makes his way uh, through the woodwind section. Little does he know that Cinta is still tailing him just a few steps away. At the same time, Vel, who's been looking for Cinta, stops at an intersection to look around. There's a look of concern on her face, and she quickly moves on. One thing that's really amazing about the show is that no matter how big in scope it gets, it always reminds us at the core that it's about the average people in the galaxy. And it couldn't be more apparent than uh, this week's episode when you realize that Dr. Mulmoy, the doctor that saw Marva back in episode 10, is also the lead trumpet in the marching band. Which is kind of fitting. Yeah. Um. And the other bit, now this is the other big thing. It's also uh, important to point out that the music that the band is playing is the show theme song, which tells us that it was a funeral dirge all along. Hmm. That just, that's one of those moments where you kind of, I had that, what's the feeling like that? 
you get all tingly when you have that realization like oh shit <laughs> when it changes each week and then you realize now knowing what it actually is that it's a funeral song and you 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 think about the themes of each episode and how that theme changed week to week and it's like oh one week it's a little more uplifting another week it's a little more you know tense and suspenseful and this yeah. week it was exactly what Somber. it was supposed yeah. to be yeah. yeah 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 but it makes sense he's leading the uh, pack though he's your uh, what is he yeah, our... uh, actor matt dunkley is the orchestrator for all 12 right. episodes right 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 well, outside the hotel, Lieutenant Kisak's uh, speaking into a comm link says, of course I can hear it. I just can't see it. Captain Tigo joins him and both men are quite angry that the funeral has started hours before it was supposed to. Kisak uh, says people are coming from all over town and Tigo orders every asset they have outside in a show of force. Stepping into the hotel lobby, Kisak's calls a stand too, which I thought was very, very British. Stand two, and the men begin uh, rushing to don riot gear. By now, the brass section has entered the plaza at the town center as more and more people file in from every direction. And another echo of that, eh? Show of force. Yeah. Put our image yeah, yeah. out there. Oh, absolutely. Well, that's, but that's an actual, that's a military thing to do. I yeah. mean, you, you, we did that when I was overseas in Afghanistan. We did that. We did shows of force where you just put everything you have out there. You know, maybe you fire off, you do a, a weapons test fire. You're not shooting at anybody. You're just, just saying citing your weapons, but it, it, it gives your enemy a sense of your, your combat power of what you can project yeah. and it can be a deterrent. Um, I don't know if it was very effective in this case. <laughs> <laughs> well, it might've been against 40 people, but that's true. Inside the hotel, Bix leans up against the window of her room while across the street, Cassian still searches the area with his monocular. Spotting Captain Tigo, we can hear him shout, uh, you call this a perimeter? And he barks orders for the soldiers to get this illegal gathering squared away. Army troopers, now suited up, rush out onto the street armed with batons and riot shields. Teams begin deploying in every direction as Kisax directs them into position. At the same time, the brass and the woodwind sections begin to converge at the bell tower while Tigo watches his troops get into position. From his perch across the street, Cassian spots Luthen through his monocular, lowering the scope he's dumbfounded by what he just saw. Meanwhile, Cirrus, uh, Cirrus, Cyril and Linus continue making their way uh, towards the city center while locals rush past them to catch up with the parade, and uh, Jezzy and the daughters of Ferrix continue their march. As Korv makes his way uh, towards the town center, Nurchi falls in step beside him and reveals to us that he's been acting as an Imperial informant. He tells Korv that he wants double the reward and a ride off of Ferrix when everything is over. Shocked at the revelation, Korv exclaims, you found him? And Korv asks Nurchi, where is he? Nurchi uh, tells him, pretend to arrest me. So at the edge of an Imperial checkpoint, Korv drops his act and strong arms Nurchi through the line of troopers, taking him into custody. Korv is still completely unaware that Sinta is onto him. Of course, she just saw that happen. So. And if she wasn't uh, fully convinced before, well, she is go. now. Hey, how did that guy <laughs> yeah, in yeah. street clothes walk through that line? 
As Korv takes Nergi in, uh, Cyril and Linus arrive at the town center. Making their way down some stairs to street level, they walk right past Luthen. At the bottom of the staircase, a trooper denies them access to the street, and the two men are forced back up the stairs. Then, finally, the full band comes together at the town center with dozens, if not hundreds, of mourners in tow. Inside the hotel, Korv informs both Captain Tigo and Supervisor Miro that, according to his informant, Cassian Andor is in the building across the street. Dedra calls for two men to be assigned to her, while Tigo asks if the informant has seen him. Korv says no, but insists that he's there, and Dedra says, we're wasting time. Tigo says that he has a recon unit on the terrace now, and Dedra shuts him down with a hard no. She says that she needs him alive, and she warns Tigo not to make her say that again. All the while, Nurchi sits off in a corner with his head hung low, as well he should. <laughs> mm-hmm. <That> weasel. <laughs> Sold him out. Weasel. In the bell tower uh, plaza, Brasso, dressed in a ceremonial uniform, marches forward carrying Marva Andor's Ferrix brick. B2 EMO is just behind him. And down the street, riot troopers rush to form a line in front of the hotel. Then, one by one, the camera passes over the solemn faces of Zanwan, Wilmon, and Pegla. From his hideout above the plaza, Cassian is fraught with emotion as the music overcomes him. Uh, at this point, the music sounds less like an amateur marching band and becomes a little more symphonic um, for that kind of emotional where... Yeah. Yeah. It's building. Yeah. 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 Very much. Um, but it, it, it goes back down again, though. Yeah. While inside the hotel, Bix rests her head against the window of her cell and hums along with the band as tears roll down her face. Leading uh, her two death troopers, Dedra heads for the building across the street. Uh, but Cassian spots them. As does Cyril Karn, who tries to get to her. Now, Cyril remarks, it's her. She's here. Fortunately, Mosk uh, holds him back, preventing him from doing something stupid. And uh, while Luthen, who's standing behind them with a calculating gaze, sees what's happening, but makes no outward gesture to do anything. Dedra leads her troopers off of Rick's road and down a narrow side street towards the utility shed while uh, B2 EMO rolls up beside Brasso. Then the band stops abruptly and you can hear the dust blow through the square. It's an interesting use of like the absence of sound. Mm -hmm. Well, as suddenly as they stopped, uh, the band starts up again. Only now they, along with hundreds of mourners, march toward the hotel at double the pace. People line the streets and the rooftops as the parade marches past and more lines of Imperial riot troops are ushered into place as the situation grows more tense. Having reached the utility shed, Dedra sends her death troopers inside to clear it, while Captain Tigo steps onto the street to link up with Lieutenant Kisax. Kisax asks what they're, uh, what they're doing, and Tigo angrily remarks that they're wasting time. With the shed now cleared, Korv, armed with his blaster, climbs the ladder ready to either arrest or shoot Cassian if necessary. Out on the street, Brasso and B2 lead the procession ever closer to the hotel. Then, Korv is now back on the ground, shaking his head no, 
because contrary to what Nurchi told them, Cassian isn't there. Uh, but peering past him, Dedra does notice the steel grate on the back wall. Cassian now runs down the tunnel that spans Rick's Road underneath the hotel. There's a hopeful irony about it, as this is surely the tunnel that Marva was checking on when she got sick. Yep. Outside, the mourners reach the line of Imperial riot troops at the edge of the town square, and Brasso turns around to face the funeral procession. Under the hotel, Cassian lifts a, bar- a barred gate, and he heads up a set of stairs into the building, while on the street, the people begin to fan out into the square. Passing through a pantry, Cassian enters a kitchen. At the same time, B2EMO bobs his head with the music as the mourners begin to chant, Stone and sky, stone and sky. The chant builds as more and more people join in, while off to the side, Cyril, Linus, and Luthen watch with curiosity. Still leaning against the barred window, Bix quietly chants along with the rest of the mourners. In the kitchen, Cassian hears someone approaching, so drawing his blaster, he tucks up against a shelf and he catches the man unaware. Outside, the stone-to-sky chant builds to a crescendo, and when we cut back to the kitchen, Cassian recognizes the cook as their friend, Tenek. He's obviously the the friend who's in the hotel that Brasso had referred to earlier. Lowering his blaster, Cassian asks, where's Bix? And Tenek nods in the right direction. As Cassian heads off, Tenek offers his condolences about Marva. And now, with the band having stopped playing, and the people no longer chanting, once again we can hear the ringing of the time grappler's Beskar anvil. Uh, Our man Tenek, the cook, uh, if you've been watching any other uh, TV shows this season, particularly House of the Dragon, you may recognize him. Uh, it's uh, actor Gavin Spokes. Uh, he did show up in six episodes of House of the Dragon as Lord Lionel Strong. He was the replacement Hand of the King. Hmm. So, yeah, uh, good for him. Two uh, hit hit series in the same year. Yeah. In the plaza, B2 EMO draws himself up to his full height while a hollow projector rotates into place on the top of his head. Activating the projector, a giant three-dimensional image of Marva, dressed in her ceremonial attire, towers over the crowd nearly two stories tall. Brasso and all the other mourners look up as she begins to speak. My name is Marva Karasi Andor. I'm honored to stand before you. I'm honored to be a daughter of Varix and honored to be worthy of the stone. Appearing to look around the plaza, she pauses. Strange. I feels as if I can see it. Meanwhile, uh, inside the hotel, Cassian makes his way carefully towards Bix's cell, while outside, Marva's speech continues. I think I was, I was six the first time I touched a funerary stone. Outside, Dedra and Korv split up, continuing to look for Cassian, while Cyril notices her walk past again. Still, Marva's speech goes on. Heard our music, felt our history, holding my sister's hand as we walked all the way down from Fountain Square. Where you stand now, I've been more times than I can remember. I always wanted to be lifted. Well, behind the line of uh, riot troops, 
Captain Tigo notices Dedra walking off alone and scowls while the uh, hollow of Marva continues. I was always eager, always waiting to be inspired. I remember every time it happened, every time the dead lifted me with their truth. Inside the hotel, Nurchi sits there slack-jawed while Bix <laughs> watches from her cell. And now I'm dead, and I yearn to lift you. Yeah, um, Nurchi sitting there kind of like, uh... Not because I want to shine or even be remembered. It's because I want you to go on. I want Ferex to continue. Outside, Korv continues moving through the crowd, scanning the rooftops as he goes, uh, while Cassian makes his way upstairs at the hotel. In my waning hours, that's what comforts me most. But I fear for you. We've been sleeping. We've had each other and Ferex, our work, our days. We had each other, and they left us alone. We kept the trade lanes open, and they left us alone. Cassian moves closer to Bix's uh, cell, while Tigo watches the crowd becoming increasingly angry. Meanwhile, Dedra and her death troopers search the back alleys. We took their money and ignored them. We kept their engines churning, and the moment they pulled away, we forgot them because we had each other. Uh, oh my Lord, uh, nodding his, uh, oh, nodding her head. Marva continues. We had Ferex and Brasso looks up at her moved by the words, but we were sleeping. I've been sleeping. Wilmon looks up at Marva with tears, uh, streaking down his face. And I've been turning away from the truth. I wanted not to face. There is a wound that won't heal at the center of the galaxy. There is a darkness reaching like rust into everything around us. We let it grow, and now it's here. It's here, and it's not visiting anymore. It wants to stay. The Empire is a disease that thrives in darkness. It's never more alive than when we sleep. It's easy for the dead to tell you to fight. Maybe it's true. Maybe fighting is useless. Perhaps it's too late. But I'll tell you this. If I could do it again, I'd wake up early and be fighting these bastards from the start. Tigo, having had enough, orders the men out of his way as he tears off his cape, rushing forward to B2 EMO and throws it over his head. The crowd begins to protest, and unfortunately for Tigo, he didn't cover the hollow projector quite as well as he would have liked to, and the partial image of Marva Andor shouts, Fight the Empire! Tigo shouts, enough, and flips B2 over, and that's all it takes to incite the crowd into a full-on riot. I was ready to fight. <laughs> I was yeah. ready to fight. Yeah, yeah, me too. Well, uh, Brasso kicks Tigo square in the chest, knocking him to the ground, and uh, two troopers try to subdue him, but they are no match for the big man. Brasso takes down another trooper, smashing the man in the face with Marva's Ferrex brick. He executed order Brixie. I love it. <laughs> Brixie brick. <laughs> um, <laughs> remember Bix's words. She's a rebel. Yep. And she just fought the Empire. Uh, that's oh, it's amazing. Yeah. That's Smashes using uh, their weapons against them. Like absolutely. It's, 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 there's so many. <laughs> uh, it's deep when he uses her 
to smashing to a, a, a man, a, the man in the face with Marvis Ferrix brick. He then raises his hands over his head and screams. And it's like a rally cry as the crowd surges forward into the Imperial line. Um, there was a lot of inspiration. Uh, I don't know if you guys caught any of the stuff from uh, uh, Tony Gilroy in this past week. Now that the show is, is out, he's been uh, making the rounds again. Uh, a lot of this is sort of inspired by uh, Northern Ireland. Um, what happened in Northern Ireland with the, uh, the IRA hmm. in the hotel, Cassian stumbles on a lone guard patrolling the hallways, uh, catching the man off guard. He deftly flips the man flat on his back before pressing his own blaster into the man's chest and squeezing the trigger. He's a, uh, he's a pretty much, he's a cold killer. No hesitation. No. no. Outside as the riot rages on, Tigo manages to crawl back through the Imperial line while more and more of the mourners charge, uh, charge at the line of riot troopers. And once again, the time grappler beats his anvil. Kisax shouts at the troops to hold the line before dispatching a stormtrooper to stop the time grappler. Uh, I bet you that troopers were getting that. <laughs> <laughs> Inside the hotel, Cassian opens a door, the door to Bix's cell where he finds her sitting on the floor against a wall. Seeing him enter, she says, I dreamt you came back. Cassian softly calls out to her, Bix? Lost in her own mind, she tells him, you climbed over a wall. Cassian tells her they have to get out of there. And uh, Bix goes on about how Marva was there. And Cassian meets her on the same level. Wasn't she great? And uh, Bix manages a long smile. As the rioters push up against uh, the wall of troops, one of them uses a shock rod to push them back. Um, um, a hapless uh, Kubaz takes the full force of the rod and falls paralyzed as the troops pull him through their lines and uh, take him into custody. Meanwhile, Nurchi watches the riot from the relative safety of the hotel lobby while upstairs Cassian urges Bix to come with him. He tells her that uh, there's no one out in the hall but she's hesitant to go and she pulls back from him saying they'll get angry. Um, I thought it was cool. It was lots of talk about uh, why there aren't a whole lot of aliens, but uh, they sure made a point to show this one off very mm -hmm. prominently. Mm -hmm. uh, Kubaz or humanoid insectoids goes all the way back to a new hope in 77. Um, the guy, uh, uh, Garandan, Garandan uh, was the guy mm -hmm. that sold out uh, Han Solo at uh, Docking Bay 94. Mm-hmm. Yeah, nice. um, his, one his of the articles canon. I did read about uh, Gilroy said that there was sort of a reason there wasn't uh, a lot of aliens. I think the I French. read the same thing, yeah, and uh, that they will be definitely more prominent. He 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 kind of wanted it to feel like a very personal problem, especially for the yeah. audience. So we yeah. can relate to humans like really easy. So we wanted to make feel like it's a human problem, and I think the idea is that it's going to be a much larger problem we're gonna we're gonna see how big the galaxy is next season did you did you read the the practical it's kind of you can take it tongue-in-cheek but as as funny as it is there's some practicality to it when he's talking specifically about narkina 5 like how many different forms of genitals right. are there in the galaxy and how how would the bathrooms work right you know and right. i mean the bathroom played a significant role uh in the escape so it's interesting. Like I say, you could take it tongue in cheek, but there is a seriousness about that. So yeah, interesting I mean, way the, to what the pace that feeds human might not feed every, you know, no, race. Absolutely. Yeah, of course. Of course. Yeah. Yeah. And like 
they're only building one gear and literally this is just one little gear within the entire thing right well according to uh according to the wikipedia the the kubas species uh are insectoid like but they also eat other insects which makes them kind of like the black sheep of the of the insectoid hmm. community like oh you eat other <laughs> oh, i got a mosquito problem on ferrix there's a good solution yeah yeah, yeah. so garandan that's uh the first one we saw um apparently uh, he was forced into being a spy he didn't actually want to be so interesting. I thought for a second we might be witnessing like this is them taking him in. That's the same guy. But like the more I look at the two of them, I'm like, no, that's not the same person. Yeah, a little bit different. Big time. Mind you, they would take him in and subject him to that uh, murdering child. No. Oh, yeah. 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 They'll break him. That's true. As the riot rages on, Wilman gets bumped as mourners charge past him. He locks eyes with key sacks before reaching into his bag and pulling out his homemade IED. Now the descriptive audio calls it a pipe bomb. Um, that's very Northern Ireland, <laughs> a pipe bomb, but uh, mm-hmm. IED. Nonetheless. Meanwhile, Dedra having exited the alleyway gets swept up in the crowd just as Wilman activates his IED and throws Good it arm. over. Yeah. Lobs it over the Imperial line. Seeing the device now airborne, Cyril makes a break for it through the Imperial line, but before he can reach Dedra, the IED lands just underneath the armored speeder uh, sitting out in front of the hotel and detonates, flipping the speeder over on its side. Well, the blast also blows out the front windows of the hotel, killing several troops along with Nurchi. Hmm. Practical explosion too. Fantastic. Yeah, looked really good. Yeah, really good. With the speeder now on its side, an ammo bin flops open, and uh, the explosive rounds inside, maybe maybe grenades, maybe uh, begin to cook off one by one. Cyril is knocked face first to the street, while the window and the bars on Bix's cell are blown out. Fortunately, Bix and Cassian are huddled underneath the window, and most of the debris is blown into the center of the room was the last of the ammunition cooks off the dust settles and both imperials and mourners begin to collect themselves luthan gathers himself up on the staircase and beats a hasty retreat out of the town center while linus mosk shakes the fog off and tries to get up miraculously both kisax and tigo who were remarkably close to that explosion uh pick themselves up seemingly unscathed mm-hmm. <laughs> while inside the hotel cassian helps bix onto her feet so that they can get out of the building with black uniforms better than stormtrooper armor. apparently yeah <laughs> <sighs> minor detail <laughs> meanwhile vel who has been looking for cinta and was nowhere near the blast sprints into the town center disappearing into the cloud of smoke and dust that's a great Um, uh great shot Um, super powerful like she's (laughs) like everybody's running away and she's running in yeah super powerful it's what heroes do yeah 100 it's it's what heroes do yeah yeah well on the street uh the riot troops take out their batons and they go on uh go about beating the rioters uh, to them, this is no longer a matter of civil unrest. It's now a matter of survival. 
Kisak's having witnessed Wilman throw his IED, spots the boy in the crowd and barks, get him, as he also shouts, uh, hold the line. Tigo, meanwhile, has managed to pull himself, uh, himself away from the melee, and he gives the command to open fire. Stormtroopers on the balcony above begin firing down into the crowd, as do the troops in front of the hotel. Rioters begin dropping as blaster bolts find their mark, and a pair of stormtroopers move to apprehend Wilman. But Brasso is there, having retrieved what looks like a droid arm or maybe a cybernetic arm, and he uses it like a bludgeon to beat down one of the troopers with it. Taking a hold of the second trooper, he headbutts him and then drags Wilman off through the crowd. With blaster fire erupting all around, many of the mourners break and run for it while the Imperial troops begin to advance. But the troopers are merciless as Tigo gives them the fire at will command and they shoot retreating citizens in the back as they run. One of the daughters of Ferrix takes a bolt to the knee and falls. And when the trooper moves forward to finish her, Zanwan leaps onto his back, knocking the blaster from the trooper's grip. But a sniper on the balcony above picks him off with deadly accuracy. Still laying on his side, B2 EMO whimpers while the riot rages on around him. Meanwhile, Brasso and another man manage to drag Wilman out of the town center. At the same time, Korv, who's presumably still looking for Cassian, turns around to see Cinta following him. Of course, he recognizes her as the girl from the cafe, and he forcefully asks, what are you doing here? Cinta feigns a fearful response as she recoils from his advance, but in reality, she's just baiting him, and uh, he walks right into her knife as she drives it upward into his midsection from underneath his ribcage. Yep. Shocked by the sudden attack, Korv turns to lean on the jam of an open doorway and Cinta heaves the knife upwards again. Korv slumps to the floor, probably dead before he hit it, and uh, Cinta catches her breath as she closes the door and hurries off. That's a very powerful uh, uh, murder. Mm-hmm. <laughs> I don't know how else you call it. <laughs> yeah, yeah. At the same time, she takes a moment to hide the body. Good for her. I thought yeah. that was uh, that was quite good, by the way. Um, and modern warfare uh, dehumanizes a lot of this stuff. So that the fact that she did it with a knife, when uh, Skeen said that she's cold, she just showed us how cold yeah. she can be. Yeah, big time. Uh, to kill somebody up close and personal like that. So uh, I, I think maybe you're right, Hank, about that family. <laughs> yeah. I, yeah, she's she's a hard... She's a hard cookie. She sure is. Well, what was it that uh, Be Real said in The Last Assassin? Last thing you learn is the knife in hand. I guess so, yeah. Mm. Out on the street, Pegla has managed to string up a rope around uh, B2EMO, and he drags him out of the town center. Meanwhile, Cassian and Bix have made their way down to the hotel lobby, but one of Dedra's death troopers has just stepped in and has seen them, and he opens fire. Cassian shoves Bix back against a wall, then taking a page from Mel Gibson's playbook makes a diving <laughs> shot, bullseyeing the trooper in the chest. He lethal weaponed him. <laughs> Lay- he does. <laughs> Laying there on the floor, Cassian notices the limp form of Nurchi just a few feet away. And honestly, it's probably better this way because at least Cassian can think that Nurchi died 
as, as a, a yeah as a prisoner not as a double crossing weasel <laughs> one of the fleeing rioters uh, actually turns back to face the onslaught of troopers but is savagely cut down by the heavy cannon of a second speeder and uh, as you can see here the bolt passes clean through him striking another rider behind him um wow they are not set <laughs> have we seen that Very before efficient. blaster bolts passing through people i don't think we've, we've seen, seen anything yes. that visceral i don't have we we have I, uh when uh in kenobi okay when she turns back and drops three at once oh right 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 with a single shot with a single shot yeah, yeah. and yeah, that yeah, was just from true. like a blaster Right. That's, yeah you're right nothing heavy right. i had forgotten about that but proximity could have played a role in maybe that. i mean well these guys this is interesting too i i watched this i gotta watch it again but clearly this is a reuse of that speeder mm. it's a reuse did we see a second one get wheeled up in the when the troops were getting rolled out i don't think we did no i think okay just reset go again <laughs> or just shoot it out of the city scene. though i mean probably probably yeah, yeah. See, there's a thing here that that that's really disturbing. That it it happens off camera, yeah. and I guarantee yeah. it happens. And that's there's a massacre uh, right after after well, yeah. we cut to all our characters getting resolution. There's yeah. a massacre on Ferrix because if it doesn't happen right now, there, there's a star destroyer inbound, and it's, it's any any time. And that's uh, we don't get to see that, but it's 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 a hundred percent. Uh, we may get a video screen of, like a uh, spell a spell house like sequence or something right right yeah. ferrick city and, was uh leveled that's yeah. that's yeah. the reality of a rebellion there's going to be more blood left behind than and we know that the empire shed. the the evil empire that they are i mean we know what they are what what lengths this, they're the, <laughs> this is what yeah. they do they if you poke yeah. them even a little bit they oh sure i mean wipe you out that's and this yeah. is where they we begin to see things like um, um you hit me with Migs, a brick i'm gonna drop a building on you yeah well the way migs May, mayfield reacts to you know uh oh I yeah remember the battle yeah he I, I know who you're you talking know. about though yeah right so yeah and you get to see their their doctrine of just like let's annihilate these people yeah uh, yeah no matter what Shooting the them in the back as they run away it's classy to not do it on camera too because it's it's inferred like i mean if if you understand the lore and the tactics of the empire right, like oh right. this is so much worse than yeah. we actually get to see and we get to see it pretty bad <laughs> yeah we do well the troopers continue their advance uh while dedra meanwhile uh, draws her pistol finally um only to be struck in the head by a flying brick and knocked to the ground. So the uniforms are explosive proof, but not brick proof. Not the helmets. <laughs> not the not the, yeah. not the hat. Not the hat. Very much out of her arena. At that oh, I know. The look on her face though when she went down. <laughs> I mean, I'm I I'm laughing now because it it is funny, but like good on her. The, the one thing I will say about this the series as a whole is the acting has just been it has been phenomenal it's, oh absolutely. absolutely yeah yeah well fortunately for her she was not knocked unconscious and uh, she gets up quickly uh, recovers to her hands and knees and scrambles for her weapon but is knocked over by a fleeing rioter cassian and bix exit the hotel and make a hasty retreat away from the town center 
In the bell tower, the time grappler beats a steady cadence on his anvil while Cassian and Bix move as fast as they can down an alleyway away from the riot. Well, that stormtrooper that Keysax had dispatched to stop the ringing finally makes his way up the stairs, but it's a very short encounter as the time grappler plants the big boot right in his chest, mm-hmm. knocking him from the tower, certainly to his death. Have you seen the meme floating around already? This <laughs> is Ferris. Oh. <laughs> this is Ferris. I was really hoping he was going to smash him with the hammer. With the hammer. I was really hoping for some hammer stuff. but Smash the helmet off him. That, that was super, super satisfying. Uh, coincidentally, Tigo just happens to be looking at the yeah. exact moment that... Ah! <laughs> it's like a variation on the Wilhelm there, too. It, it like is, a high-pitched yeah. version of the... Might have Almost been wondered if it may have been a woman. Hmm. Yeah, that's, that's what I thought. Meanwhile, Dedra, scrambling, still scrambling to recover her weapon, is suddenly set upon by a mob of angry rioters and dragged so, to her feet. I had a moment here, like I, she's I had to gonna like get check, lynched. Yeah, like I checked myself as a human being because I got excited when I thought they were going to tear her. In They're the going to lynch her. Streets, <laughs> like like Game of Thrones style. I thought they were yeah, going to rip her yeah, to shreds, yeah. and I got excited about it. And I had to check. I went, whoa. I don't. Whoa. I can't say that I was excited, <laughs> but I was certainly like I kind of got a little wide eyed. I'm like. Oh, they are they are gonna I was like, no, she deserves this thoroughly. Like, but yeah, wow, is that are they really gonna go there? And I die fascist die. Yeah, yeah, like kill that space Nazi. Right, yeah, yeah. So punch her in the face. Superman (laughs) or Captain America punches a Nazi. All right. She gets set upon by an angry mob. Uh, one of them manages to actually get her weapon and jams it into her back and forcefully drags her down an alleyway, saying, Do as I say. The man opens a door and shoves her inside of a supply closet. Dedra grabs a spare part from one of the shelves and she wheels around ready to slice the man's throat with it, but is shocked to see that it's Cyril Karn. He lets her go while Dedra stands there shaking. Realizing who it is, she exclaims, You! and asks, How? Cyril calmly replies, You are in trouble. As uh, he gently removes the spare part from her hand, Looking up at him, she says, I should say thank you. But Cyril tells her in that creepy way, you don't have to. There's also a meme floating around about that one with uh, Kiss her. Yeah, Edna from The Incredibles. Edna Mode from The Incredibles. Kiss her. Already. Kiss her. <laughs> <laughs> Cassian and Bix uh, continue their flight from the town center, seemingly with no one giving chase. And then we cut to Luthen, who has now made it several blocks away and is looking back down at the riot with a scowl on his face. Over at uh, Sinta's apartment, she and Vel break down and pack up all the observation gear. Vel notices the blood on Sinta's hand and stops her, saying, you're bleeding. But Sinta tells her it's fine and not to worry about it because it's not her blood. And the two women share a grim look and then promptly get back to work. Just while Luthen's on the screen, I think we I think we kind of glanced over the the Luthen's reactions to Marva's speech. It's everything they, he could have ever wanted. They mm-hmm. they linger, and I think what he understands is that he's not alone in the fight at that moment. Uh, yeah, which, yeah, which yeah, is, for sure. Which heavily influences his decision at the very end. And uh, I thought I'd br- yeah. I'd bring that up right now. No, it's totally uh, worth bringing because, up. Yeah, because he's on screen. I just noticed him and I was like, no, wait a minute. He's just um, been giving something to ponder on. Because yeah. he's he's doing everything but breaking a smile there. He's this like yep. his his entire 
how do I motivate people to fight? And it's, it's laid out before him like that. Like I certainly, I can motivate this individual and that individual yep. with my, you know, my power and my wherewithal and stuff. But how, how do you, how do you ignite a fire under the entire galaxy? And well, there it is. This is something him. that I said, um, that I kind of hoped, you know, that speech, Marva's speech, um, that's the kind of thing that you, you say, did you hear what happened on Ferris? Yeah. It's the, yes. tel- it's the telephone game, yeah. right? Yeah. And by the time it goes from it's Ferris Ezra to... Ezra Bridger's speech. If that gets out, if that gets broadcast, that's Ezra Bridger's speech. That's the kind right. of thing that, like, yes, absolutely. It's, and it's the kind of thing that that plays in, in the favor of people like Luthen and Saw and Mon in that it is the telephone game. And as word of mouth, because let's say it's, the hollow itself doesn't make it because it's, you know, broken or whatever. Sure, sure. That story gets bigger and bigger and bigger. And finally, it's not. There wasn't a riot on Ferrix. It was like. Yeah. It was a rebellion. 4,000 yeah. people right. took down a ship. A hologram 5,000 yeah. feet tall <laughs> shot right. into space was telling the world, you know. Yeah, absolutely. But that's, that's the type of uh, steamrolling that could help. Uh, yeah. get the larger movement rolling mm-hmm. yeah. yeah yeah same way that Eldani went from just like you know a couple dudes murdered to yeah oh yeah exactly burned the place to the ground exactly and we saw that ex- we saw that happen yeah mm-hmm. well over at the used uh, ship lot wilman sits inside the vessel the same vessel that pegla had loaned cassian uh, to get over to marlana one back at the beginning of the series mm-hmm. uh, jesse comes out from the cockpit and she shouts come on guys Standing in the hatchway, uh, she says that the fuel gauge reads empty. Meanwhile, both Pegla and Brasso work frantically to ready the ship for flight. Brasso takes a reading off the fuel canister that he's manning, and he says it reads full. (laughs) Pegla tosses Jesse a wrench and tells her to bang the gauge. He says it has a few kinks, but it's a good old ship. Brasso tells Pegla that he'd be more confident if Pegla was going with them. But uh, Pegla claps him on the back and says, she'll fly. And the two men finish disconnecting an assortment of hoses and lines uh, from the craft. And uh, Pegla tells Brasso to go now or forget it. Well, just that. Yeah, go ahead. He's right. Like, because they had relaxed the air traffic rules. Oh, right. Before they uh, lock it down yeah. again. Yeah. They figured they had a couple hours and whatnot. Absolutely. Mm-hmm. So just then Pegla's hounds begin to bark. And B2 EMO rolls up to the hatchway while Jesse raises a pistol ready to shoot any Imperials that might have followed them. And uh, then B2 announces Cassian as he and Bix enter the lot. Cassian hands Bix off to Brasso to help her aboard the ship. And uh, Bix calls his name in recognition. So she's getting a little better, I guess. Mm. With a smile, Cassian says uh, she's coming around. Stepping on board the ship, Cassian and Jesse exchange greetings before Cassian steps up to the hatchway and asks Pegla if the ship can reach Ganji Moon. Now, Ganji Moon, as best as I can tell, is a new location that we've not heard before. There was a lot of that in this series, by the yeah. way. World Do you think moon. that's the moon Galaxy. that um, when he killed... Um, oh, oh, Dr. Quadpaws? Yeah, Doctor Quadpaws. Quadpaws. That maybe that's the moon. Maybe. maybe it's kind of a back out of the way. I mean, the the doctor would be there, so maybe he could, you know, tend 
to the wounded. Ten Bix, maybe kind of get her brain unscrambled. I don't know. Well, it was. Uh, I can't remember. And this is so horrible, but I can't remember the guys. We've gone through so many characters. Yeah. But the uh, the guy that was in prison with the tattoos, he says, "I got a moon. There's nobody there. We oh, can, we can disappear with our money." Oh, uh, scheme. Yeah, right scheme. before he gets shot. Scheme. The other scheme's, scheme's plan to go to that uninhabited moon and hide out. Yeah, before Cassian. <laughs> Right, so Put I wonder if that's Ganji Moon. Maybe, maybe. I have to go back and uh, and check the dialogue. I don't on think that. he name dropped. It I, I don't think he did either. He didn't name drop it. I was just wondering off if that camera, was the same. right? It could have been. I know a place to go. Can you get uh, here? Maybe, maybe. Yeah. Could have been in his possession, like uh, on a stick or a pad yeah. or something. Anything. Every every time they do uh, a show like this of this scale, I need an, an updated galaxy map after every episode. <laughs> 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 just like. <laughs> I don't know where Ferrix is. <laughs> no, eh, I'm going to talk. Uh, we'll get to that. I, I've got some like, um, it doesn't make sense, but we'll, we'll get there. Well, keeping his eye on the, uh, uh, the entrance to the lot, Pegla says, if they ever make it out of here, Brasso is surprised that Cassian isn't going with them. And uh, Cassian tells Jesse to stay low all the way to the far side, uh, the far side sea. Then once they get over the water, climb uh that's a recurrent theme climb <laughs> he tells her no comms all in saddened that cassian isn't going with them b2 laments i never got to see you kneeling down beside his trusty droid cassian places a hand on b2's head and tells him to look after bix adding that uh, i'm counting on you b2 says you always say that and cassian scoffs with a bit of a smile as he says and you always come through. I love that line. Um, mm. I, I'm just going to put this out there now. Do you think they're going to retcon that comic? Maybe. Do you think B2 is going to go on to become? No. That You don't think so? Maybe he'd keep the name, wouldn't he? New body. KX body. B2, K2. Mm. Instead of being KX whatever whatever, an amalgamation mm. of a KX droid and B2 could become k2 i just think if you're calling the droid b your whole life you'd still call him b maybe i think the only reason that we don't get <clears throat> like i bet you if if we got more of lando spending time in the falcon after with l might refer to the falcon as l3 as l3 oh that's an interesting yeah. thought too i just I, I don't know like i wouldn't name my dog something different even if i gave it a new dog body or something i don't know yeah. i just feel like I don't know if they'll do that or not. I think I, I, I understand the sentiment. Mag. Yep. I understand the sentiment. It would be it would be a neat twist, but I just I don't think that uh, I don't think it, it doesn't feel like the character would change his name. Maybe it's one of those you know we talked about transference as as fans how we there's certain things that we just we would like to see. Maybe yeah. that's a little bit you know maybe I'm doing that a bit. <laughs> I think I'm if they're gonna do it, they're gonna have to like destroy his current body his current well i mean he's already old and battered yeah yeah so well, it's like not like he couldn't use an upgrade yeah transfer his memory board or something that's true it that's might true. be too derivative of what happened on the falcon too to, to oh that there is that too there is that well with everyone seated cassian shouts to jesse get them out of here closing in on bix she quietly says he'll find us and cassian stops to look at her and uh, bix looks up at him and says cassian will find us uh, and in earnest, he tells her, I will. And Bix smiles at him. 
Cassian takes one last look at everyone on board and he tells them, I'll find you. Now go, go. And he exits the ship. The old modified ship rumbles to life and uh, lifts off while Cassian watches them go before running out of the shipyard. Uh, I love that, you know, that everybody that's left that Cassian loves is right here. Yeah. They're all there right now. Mm-hmm. Well, on Coruscant, over at the uh, Chandrillan Embassy residence, Mon Mothma, Perrin, and Lita walk towards the front door. Each of them is impeccably dressed in traditional Chandrillan finery. Mon wears a troubled look, while Lita bears an air of excitement. An embassy worker opens the door, revealing Davos Skulden standing there with his wife, Runal, and their teenage son, Stakan, also dressed in traditional Chandrillan formal attire. Now, um, our Skuldens, Runal Skulden, that's uh, Rosalind Halstead. She is an actor, model, and dancer, uh, having appeared in uh, 2019's uh, The Trail of Christine Keeler, where she played Bronwyn for six episodes. Uh, and then before that, she appeared in the uh, Amazon Prime original uh, White Dragon, where she played Emma for eight episodes. Now, uh, Stikan uh, Skalden, that's actor Finley Glasgow, and this is his first acting credit that I could find. So oh, good on you. Way to, way to jumpstart your career with a Star Wars show. Mm-hmm. Hopefully we'll see more of him. Uh, not just in this show, but in other things yeah, as well. I mean, it'd be a darn shame to be that kid not to get to wield a blaster or something. At yeah, least. really. <laughs> Later, on board the Fondor, Luthen. Oh, what did I do here? No, nope, jumped ahead too far. I did go too far. Sorry. Okay, with the riot now over, uh, Linus Mosk now sits atop a staircase and he takes a few long pulls off of a flask. And uh, people uh, walk by paying him no mind whatsoever. Um, at the same time, uh, Luthen back atop of his speeder races away from the city back to the hidden valley where the Fondor awaits him right across that same weird, it's a field, the, they call it an agricultural zone, an agro zone. So I guess that's where their, the food comes from. Yeah. You notice it's really black and stuff like the empire has been stripping it like they do with Lothal. Maybe. Mm. Yeah, maybe. I just thought maybe that sort of, you know, goes part and parcel with the fact that, that Ferrix is another ship breaking world. So there are lots mm. of like crap in the air. Like, no, that's true too. Yeah. 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 Later on board the Vondor, Luthen orders the droid mod to prepare for evac full stealth, dropping his cloak. He heads to the galley and tries to open the secret wardrobe, but the controls don't respond. In fact, the ship's droid mod, which is usually quite responsive, doesn't even answer him. Sensing that uh, something is wrong, Luthen turns around and he heads into the cockpit. Now, the droid mod looks up at him, but doesn't say anything. Then, turning around, Luthen sees Cassian standing behind him in the walkway. The two men stare at each other in silence for a moment before Cassian asks him plainly, You came here to kill me, didn't you? Luthen replies, uh, You don't make it easy. With a shake of his head, uh, Cassian gestures to a corner and says, I will now. Luthen looks to where Cassian gestured and steps toward the corner where he picks up Cassian's briar pistol. Luthen asks him, what game is this? And uh, Cassian shakes his head and says, no game. 
Luthan eyes him suspiciously, but Cassian is resolved to whatever fate may lie before him. Solemnly, he says, kill me, and then pauses for a moment before he continues, or take me in. And uh, Luthan uh, takes him in, takes a long, long, hard glance at the pistol in his hand. Drawing the, uh, dropping the pistol to his side, Luthan looks back up at Cassian with a wide smile. And uh, with tears in his eyes, Cassian steals his jaw, and we cut to black. Ugh. Crazy. Okay, do you want to just keep going? <laughs> you want to just yeah, keep, going? keep going? Yeah, keep yeah, going. Yeah. Okay, well, credits roll, and uh, like I said before, the they, the credit sequence does not like whoop, shrink, uh, shrink down to the corner. Nope. And uh, then uh, we get something else happening here. The, um, the sequence opens with a tight shot of a pair of plasma welders working on something. And as the camera pulls back, we can see that uh, it's an insectoid-like droid. Uh, in fact, there's uh, quite a fleet of uh, these droids. And as the camera continues uh, to pull back, we can see one of the droids is carrying one of the six spoked hubs that we saw being built on Narkina five droids are really reminiscent of the buzz droids, uh, buzz droids. uh, And then also the, I I got vibes of the, um, the, the Bomar, the spider droid on, uh, yeah, 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 yeah. Um, sorry, the droid, uh, fits, uh, one of them into a slot, and uh, we see that, uh, uh, sorry, where am I at here? Uh, camera pulls back, sees an insectoid droid, and there's a fleet of them. The camera continues pulling back. We see one of the droids carrying a six-spoke hub The men were building on Arcana 5. The droid fits it into a slot where five adjoining golden panels all meet. The camera continues pulling back even more, and we can see that the panels are part of a larger array of panels. And uh, drawing back even more, we actually get to see what looks like an exploded view of the Death Star focusing array still under construction. Um, But the camera pulls back even farther, and we actually do get to see uh, the Death Star itself in orbit over Scarif. And so far, only the tiniest piece of that had gold. Yeah, the whole... I mean, they've we, just we begun that off. sort of yeah. thing. We got another uh, comment here coming in from YouTube. It's uh, Patrick O'Connell. Season two is going to be hype. Yeah. Is it um, ever? <laughs> I is it ever? Um, yeah. the, I, I mean, the rumor is they've started filming already. I could go into it tomorrow. I mean, I'm, I'm ready. Oh, oh man. <laughs> I'm so ready for this. Um. Okay. So there it is. Um. So when I, back, I don't know what episode it was. I, I'd said, um, uh what did i say um geodesic dome yes i wasn't wrong i was not wrong with the geodesic dome because that dish that's a geodesic dome as we can see by the way that these these uh uh, panels fit together Mm -hmm. very very interesting um by the way the larger sections do kind of still resemble the tie fighter wing though yeah okay so i just want to i mean to the casual fan this isn't going to mean anything it's it's not and but to to those of us who are maybe a little more invested um at what point did they move the death star from geonosis to scarif and how did they do it with a giant gaping hole in it one piece at a time 
I guess so. I mean, the the idea that see, this is the thing. You you say I don't know where Ferrix is. Um, do we know where Scarif is in relation to Geonosis? I'm sure we do. Well, by it, now, it, there's got to be. Uh, yeah, we do. I mean, I don't have it memorized, but I don't either. We do. I I don't either. Do, do we know? Yeah, they're not in, are they in the with another. Are they in the same sector? Maybe. Patrick says, kind of poetic how Cassian built the weapon that kills him. Yes. I, I never mean, knew. <laughs> <laughs> never knew. I do. I do appreciate that. I, I do appreciate yeah. the, uh, the the artistic uh, uh, license that goes with that. I do question, though. I mean, you know, I, I mean, fan first, and I, I'm okay. I, I, I can do this, and I'm, I can cover my eyes, and I'm totally fine. But, I mean, it's, it is counter- it is contrary to everything that I understand about space travel in Star Wars that moving a ship, because let's face it, the Death Star is a, it's a giant ship mm -hmm. still moving a giant ship through hyperspace with a gaping hole. And it does not fit with anything that I know about space travel in Star Wars. Well, they didn't have to move it there fast. Maybe they didn't take hyperspace. So you're saying that when we see the, the partial su superstructure in uh, Revenge of Revenge the Sith, of the that's, Sith. At, that's at Geonosis? So here's the thing. Like I went back and looked at it. Now, these are the canonical... That is the canonical uh, um, attribution that it was built over Geonosis. However, in that sequence... It's just space. You don't see where it is. You there is no indication visually other than Dooku taking the the hollow. I'll have to give this to my master. Fast forward to Rogue One. I went back and I looked at Rogue One because I'm like, maybe they used a. There's no on screen text to tell us where it no. is, and it's the no. same thing. You just see the focus, the dish being laid in, right we don't and then know where it we is. see it travel we see it appear out of hyperspace at scarif at uh at scarif that's right so we right. moved it from geonosis to scarif to somewhere else to come back oh well alderaan obviously no alderaan is after scarif no yeah and then back jetta jetta so, first jetta interesting so but it does tie in nicely with lonnie young's uh request for additional uh stuff in in his sector because of the additional construction or whatever shipments that were going into scarif so right um we're either going to get a major retcon or somebody's going to get to write a comic book or a novel to tell us how they move this thing and uh, <laughs> you know or just space tow lanes retcon where it was built maybe they don't have to in what sense well this one we're seeing right here is pretty goddamn close to complete right yep the one we see floating over Geonosis is nowhere near. It's just a ring of uh, maybe the one over Geonosis is actually the second Death Star. You know that it's actually is, that's an interesting thought production. too because I'm pretty sure that there were canonically speaking there was at least three Death Stars in construction at one point, um, and I'm pretty sure that Death Star Two was underway uh, by the time that uh, DS One was complete. Yeah. There's a huge size difference. We don't get a, a sense of the size, though, of that no. that ring from uh, Revenge of the Sith. That's an interesting point. Never thought about that. You also get yeah. the idea, though, too, that um, uh, Galen Erso probably wasn't old enough to be, uh, yeah, like the lead scientist at at you know. So they're building that thing at at over Geonosis, ostensibly off the plans that the Geonosians 
provided that were conceived of. Yeah. Yeah. Of course. At some point, um, you know, and at some point they, you know, they had to bring in experts, I guess, to, you know, to, to redefine things. This, this certainly is, you know, you could, if, if we're five years before, uh, that scene in in Rogue One where they actually insert the dish and make it yep. battle ready, which we are. It's, yeah, it's great. There's five tiers of stuff before we get. Oh there. yeah, yeah. Mm-hmm. <laughs> we get one ring, a uh, uh, one one uh, slice of the oh, tree yeah. every year. <laughs> and literally, Rome wasn't built yeah. in a day, right? No, absolutely, it was. I mean, now now put that into perspective. Uh, Cassian Andor or someone like him slaving away every day for five years. Years, yeah years to put you know to and then and and now we're building three or it took that the the dome not the dome the sphere itself that's 14 years worth of construction right there that we're looking at yeah right you know right yeah and we're still we're we're almost there (laughs) (laughs) five more to go five more to go double our efforts (laughs) (laughs) wow um so there we go uh and or season one um it was a hit. It was a hit for me. Total hit. Crazy Slow build, good. but holy payoff. Uh, anything you guys want to touch on, like uh, thoughts about the the series in general overall? I think we, if you've if you've never if you've watched our show, if you've listened to our show, then you you know sort of the the highs and lows. We tend to hit on them sort of in the moment. I will still say this: um, my the biggest detractor of the entire series is how loose lipped they were at the embassy residence. I feel like that was like, I know it serves the story, but it's an awful, awful, uh, you know, choice. Well, especially when she knows that like they're swapping out her driver. No, exactly. And they're changing people around her. Exactly. So, but it, it, really that is my biggest complaint outside of that. Didn't have a problem with space AK 47s. In fact, I thought that's just so that is so thematically correct with how mm-hmm. star Wars has presented weapons. No problem with that. I love um, the uh, the non She Hulk levels of uh, CGI in it that were used. I loved all. <laughs> I mean, it was beautiful. That I, I said that to Lauren it a lot. Was, the fact yeah. that they were doing theater quality CGI when when necessary, feature film the, quality. Yes, right, yes. right. Like the uh, the Aldani uh, the ship stuff last week's episode. The, uh, last uh, week's episode yeah. uh, with the, the the Tie Fighter fight, and uh, even even the the firefight this weekend. Practical effects mixed with some classy cg uh we got another comment we've got another this is a great one actually this is a question patrick uh, says do you think we will get a cameo from the ghost crew in season two i think well, tony gilroy's pretty command like did you read the uh article i don't know if patrick read it but uh i certainly read it and you guys might have come across it where tony gilroy said you know i i had said no fan service easter eggs and everything the, the that you saw in Luthien's shop department. was the art department. Blamed it I, on the I, art department. I had literally had no connection or knowledge. So if if so, it might be the wardrobe department dresses someone up like Ezra Bridger and sends them walking through the background. But I don't think we're going to take away from this story by and I because I think that these both stories are so important. I don't I don't think we're going to take by the time we get to one, Rogue One, like, in in five years from now, Harrison Dula is a general in the alliance. Knowing um, that we're getting like a Rebel season five, right, coming anyway, out of Ahsoka, uh, right. We, I mean, right. you might get one of those characters, and I would say if if anybody makes an appearance, it's Chopper, and I, again, it's probably a background thing. Chopper is the easiest to do because the the right. practical that droid is already built. He was in Rogue yeah. One, 
we've already got a i mean patrick i don't know if you noticed this but the vcx 100 uh the freighter makes an appearance in and or it's in the used ship lot where the ugly that cassie and the with the y-wing uh, engines it's there um, right. not saying that that's the the ghost but it is a vcx 100 so th- the connective tissue is already there right we we do see chopper in rogue one we we have the uh, audio cue uh, general sandula whatever yeah. in rogue one could we see them sure um, I still, I think this thing is so strong an entity already. It's, I mean, yeah. it's highly possible, but I don't think you're going to see a Tarkin or a Leia in the in the next season. I, I, I think that would take away from what yeah. we're building here, which is, which is like a, a crazy pedestal to how good Star Wars can be when we step away from those things. We take for and granted let it stand that, on uh, its own. We take it for granted that uh, Bail Organa is already intrinsically linked to the rebellion. By the time we get to Rogue One, um. So I think that's an easy one to weave in and out. I'd be more interested to yes. see what happened, how, who, where, uh, Jan Dodonna. I'd right. like to see him Things get of that involved. nature for sure. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. Or like, I'd like you to said, see last a live week, action, a young wedge, uh, a young sure. uh, Bigs, Bigs and Bix. <laughs> you know what? I, I remember I would, when we thought that it was she was saying he was saying Bigs. We had uh, yeah, <laughs> way back in the trailer. He said uh, Bigs. Come on, who's Bix? Lieutenant Lieutenant um, uh, died at Aldani. Lieutenant. Gorn. Uh, Gorn. Oh, yes. I, I thought, you know, had they've got had they've gotten away with it, he was going on the ship and leaving oh, with yeah. them. You had said last week, Hank, we have we have no idea the backstories for guys like General Riken and Crix Maydine. How about right? If anything, let's let's see Crix Maydine's defection. That would be mm, that, that would, would yeah. be cool. I would love and to that, see that some more plays of that right stuff. into we may get that. Like we we did speculate that maybe there was going to be a flip uh in season one. Um, mm. and that didn't happen well we found out the embedded uh lonnie right but i mean he was already like double- every yeah. other character turned out to be embedded in something which was yeah, kind of that's cool. true the that is so true yeah 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 and they delivered so, yeah. enough gut punches this season i could easily see them bringing back andy circus for season two only to take him away i, <laughs> I mean uh, i want to really address that uh, in, I wanted him in, to. Uh, I know. They, I Tony Gilroy addressed that in an interview. I don't know if you guys saw that one though. That's said, not like, one that know, I am familiar with. I don't like, see an interview I really, with. He's like, I like to think that he's alive somewhere. He's like, I'm, oh, I'm pretty cool. sure he's dead, but I'd like to oh. think that there's some some place <laughs> where he got out somehow. You know, like because yeah, Andy Circus, he gave an interview as well. Yeah, saying you know. Uh, they haven't contacted me about anything for season two, but I would love to come back. Oh, be that's good to be to be open about that or directing. Mm. What's interesting, that would be cool too, to have him as a director. Speaking of directors, um, no returning director for season two. Mm, A whole new cadre of directors. Yeah. And still the uh, same format where we're we're, we're doing like uh, uh, multi episode arcs. arcs Yeah, I like that. Yeah. With a significant time jump, I'm led to believe between all of them. I believe the the last thing I heard was season two is going to pick up about one year after uh, the close of this season. Right. And, and drop us off about five days, five, five days five before days. the events of uh, Rogue One. So yeah. We got five years to cover and only 12 episodes to do it. Is it going to be another 12 episode season? I believe that's Maybe. what I heard. But... That's an interesting question. Uh, cable, cable, cable series, uh, particularly at the HBO Netflix, the, the 10 episode season has become sort of the, 
the norm how do we feel about a a 12 episode okay so i mean used to be like we grew up with the 24 with the 24 yeah 24 25 wouldn't kill me me. yeah 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 that would not kill me i go back and i watch lost and i go wow there's there's 158 episodes to watch uh it wouldn't kill me but i understand that that uh your quality is going to you know, uh, drop yeah. at that spread point. That. Oh my gosh. Yeah. Right. So yeah. if you're going to, if you're going to give me a, a $50 million TV show, uh, and spread that out over 12 episodes and make it the greatest thing I've ever seen, I kind of rather that than spread it out over two or three seasons, yeah. the same budget. And I'm getting, you know, uh, just some horse crap. So, and, or, uh, and, or is the most expensive of the star Wars, uh, television series yet. Yeah. Um, we got we, we got the production value as you say like in some points we got feature film quality production Cinematic values visuals there to me again i mean the 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 she hulk joke is so on point there was no like i said there was no significant drop in the writing quality there was no, no. drop in the visual quality either no. uh, no. money well spent you know i really think andor like is the unsung hero of the the three big studios that tried to put out prequel projects i'm not taking yeah. anything away yeah, yeah. from game of thrones no nope. certainly not taking anything away from lord of the rings yep uh this destroyed that in terms of of uh just the the way that you could do a prequel and and care about characters that you already know what the hell is going to happen to them there's no good reason to care a damn yeah, no absolutely bit about casting andor and and you hang on everything you mean the guy that dies at the end of Rogue? Everybody dies in Rogue One. What are you with him before? But, but no, it's just the cinematography, the quality, the acting, everything about it is uh, that you know. more than and, and they're in right there, Hank. The acting that more than anything else. Like we we mentioned before about how like you don't have any, you know that Bond will be back. It's Bond will return. We know that Cassian dies, but like you can't tell me for a moment that you didn't. You were like, oh, I know that he makes it to Rogue One, but like in my mind, there's a part of me going like, Luthen could pull the trigger. Yeah, you know, I mean, if 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 Marva's speech hadn't happened, if we didn't witness the the riot and all the things that that led up to this exact yeah. moment, he came here to kill him, and he probably would have went through with it. And yeah. I the- I felt the emotional weight of what they were trying to 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 present. Yeah, it's uh, it's it's really true that the journey is is you know more than the destination getting there yeah that's what that's what's what we're seeing evidence of Uh, and i i know about halfway through i was like man this is so good yeah i don't want to like this as much as i like the mandalorian (laughs) i said that i was like i don't i don't want to like this as much as i'm liking so lauren lauren as your partner in crime who is your uh, can we can we is she an open star wars freak or is she still okay hell yeah as your rider die, where does it sit with her as a as a woman? Um, as I she mean, said, she she really likes them all. Um, sure, like certain things about it, like the like the like the droid. Um, okay. Uh, just the the way that like they portray the emotion. Like we're we're you know we we talked about that a lot, like how yeah. they we've never done anything but humanize the droids in star wars yep. but we've yep. taken this to the like the nth level now oh you know? uh, like i said um, uh, yes it w- turns out it wasn't fluid between his lenses but the metaphor was still there did you ever think you would see a star wars droid cry 
I mean, that's, well, and what that's we were... exactly. Um, and they like I say, I, 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 I was sort of in the camp where they, they were more like highly intelligent pets. And now I, I'm yeah. in the camp where they're like, they're Children. another species of being. Yeah. No, they're yeah, another yeah. species of being. They're yeah. like emotionally right? complex you, sentient beings. Right. And then you, 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 you add in that, the, the L3 sort of, uh, slave speech in at, at castle oh, and the, yeah. Yeah, and you, yeah. and you, you build this picture and, and, um, what, what is the, uh, the gotra? There's a droid gotra that we don't know anything about out there. That's right. Uh, that we've, we sort of touched on in the Mando yeah. stuff. Yeah, yeah. Um, I mean, I, I can't, it's, it's a great time to be a star Wars fan. It absolutely is. Um, I really hope that by putting this on network, uh, it makes people want to actually check the rest of the thing out because it's it's brilliant stuff. I would hate to think um, that this is nothing more than just the drive to the next slate of films to put Star Wars back into the the wider audience to, keep to it the relevant. Yeah, right. I, mean, the, it's, it's I know Ryan Johnson high. does. Uh, Ryan Johnson does an interview every five minutes to talk about the fact that he's still doing a trilogy. <laughs> but the last thing I read about him was he'd be like, "I'd be fine with doing TV." Like, I don't know if he's telling somebody <laughs> like, I'll be, I can do TV. I'll be fine. Yeah, with it. really. But I mean, this is, I'm, I'm super happy with where we're going. Uh, it looks like the acolyte is going to be our first uh, movie, I guess, uh, since rogue squadron has been sort of kiboshed permanently. Uh, uh, yeah. It's off the calendar completely. So we have no idea where, so where it, that's it at. It looks very much like the, the acolyte may be the next film we get. Uh, is it a film? I thought it was going to be a, I, I thought it was going to be serious. I could be wrong either yeah. way. Yeah. Um, before we get to the acolyte though, we've got a lot of stuff wow. happening in the next, uh, in the next couple of months. So Crazy happy <laughs> we are about to have some serious overlap here, uh, because I know, um, we've already set the tone with, uh, our coverage of both the Mandalorian and the bad batch, both of which are coming back for new seasons here shortly um ahsoka is on the horizon they will overlap so that's going to be a busy production schedule for us but um this being sort of the the organic wrap to uh and or i don't know if if we're going to do a a a wrap show on that or not or maybe Um, a recap you know what maybe that's something uh, if you guys want to do a a wrap show we'd love to uh if you just drop a comment maybe in the in the stream on this if you're catching the replay and let us know if you want to do a, a wrap uh, live stream uh, completely unscripted uh, we won't put any notes together for it we'll just take your uh your comments and thoughts and you guys can just we can have a, a nice big conversation w- as a fan community yeah what did you like what do you want to see going forward sure i mean uh we'll, we'll say it is now sunday november 27th so next sunday december or do you get a calendar there Andy? Fourth, i think december 4th, 4th at our usual time slot if you guys want to do a, a rap live stream, we will do another episode of Fandor. It'll be the uh, the basically ask us anything, and we will talk about it um, about Andor. If not, if not, if there's not enough interest for that, we can now turn our attention back and catch up on Tales of the Jedi. <laughs> Tales of the Jedi, <laughs> which we have a game plan for uh, going forward. So that that will be the next uh, produced thing produced live stream coming will be uh tales of the jedi we also well, got to do uh, that live stream just yep, uh, yep. throwing this out there for hank would lauren be interested in coming on and talking about oh, it as, a, her as a guest yeah sure especially yeah, considering I, like the the dedra stuff 
where, you know, we started out, she was already facing, you know, sexism in the workplace. Yeah. And yeah. she rises up through the ranks to get demonized and then just kind of shit on when her further <laughs> up decides, yeah, I'm in control of these. This is what the emperor needs to get the taste out of his mouth. And I did it. And the, and the sickness is that the, the to, to become undemonized, you become the demon. Right. Yeah. 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 She's a fan of the show too. And she couldn't be outdone by our, our good friend at the beginning of the show. So she, uh, she gave us a fan no gift. No way. <laughs> That's awesome. Aww. So we'll plant them at the same time. And oh my we'll gosh. See, so uh, we've, now we've got, we've got, uh, we're going <laughs> to grow goo. And now what do yeah. we do? Is that wicked? Is that wicked? It is, is wicked. It, it is wicked. W Warwick. Wow. So, um, we're going to, I don't know, pick, pick it, pick it, wicked, pick it. There's no pithy way to, to make that sound funny. <laughs> Chia Wicket. Chia Wicket and Chia Grogu. Um, dueling Chias here in the here at Phantom Power. That's it. Thank so you to everyone. Send us your crap. We love it. <laughs> we love it. Thanks to everybody who's uh, been along with us for this. Uh, this one has been uh, definitely the, the longest um, mm. review series that we've done. Had a great time on this one super super happy with uh with the show super proud of the work that uh these two guys these two guys have uh put into the show especially while i was away on vacation so thank you very much for uh keeping the the show rolling um we will be back uh one week from today talking about something might be tales of the jedi could be a big old live stream with a bunch of you just let us know in the comments or hit us up awesome. on our socials um but really guys Oh, and do uh, check out the 100 subscriber uh, giveaway video uh, where we are giving away an action figure, possibly two. Um, this this action figure, this one right here, is already on the block. It will be, uh, will be drawn for sometime uh, after the 31st of December. Remember, we get uh, 200 subscribers. That General Grievous will also be up, uh, up for grabs. And Andy, you told me that if we could get to... 300 i've got something to throw up as well so guys tell your friends about the show tell them how much you love us and uh show a little bit of love and we will do the same and we will offer up another thing unlock that third tier another thing (laughs) nice (laughs) now we're uh what are we fandom plus (laughs) maybe (laughs) or uh uh, fandom pulse like hasbro only fandom unlock the uh yeah only fandom only fandom that's hilarious. Okay, we better end this before we <laughs> go too far. <laughs> to see more of Hank, insert quarter now. Okay, that's Only one person watching. <laughs> all right, and it's somebody that loves us. I know that. Yeah, that's true. Okay, well, listen. Much love to all of you. Uh, until we meet again uh, in a week from now. Uh, for Fan and Power, my name is Wes. I'm Andrew, <laughs> and I'm Hank, and uh, we'll catch you on the next one, guys. So bye for now. Power doesn't panic. Ha, ha, ha.